Being an orphan was really hard, but I finally got a family of my own. Yeah, they're a bunch of Nigerian princes who wanted my bank account, but it's better than nothing. I can do better than that, my dear. I'm your long-lost third cousin who never saw you even as a baby. We have a similar predisposition towards lung cancer, which makes us the best of friends. I can do even better than that. I'm your former housekeeper. I cleaned your room plenty of times, so you could definitely come with me. I'm better than them. I'm the accountant who wrapped up your family's estate. I could have contacted you any time, actually, but it was hard to find you, and it just didn't seem worth it when I got to live off the interest income. I bet the best of all, we did school together five times in second grade. You just don't remember it because of how rotten your life has been. Don't you dare gloss over me. Not when I lit you money once and never asked to get it back. I can't decide. Everyone has such a good reason to want me. Who should I choose? I am your father's, brother's, nephew's, cousin's former roommate. Oh, okay. I'll choose him. Hey, paisanos, it's the Backtrack Brothers Super Show! We're the Backtrack Brothers, and old school are gays. We're not like the others. You get all the faith. If you're back left in trouble, you can call us in the double. We're more retro than the others. You'll be hooked on the brothers. You're hooked on the brothers. For a treat, so hang on to your seat. Get ready for adventure from RPGs of sweet cup consoles, computers, handhelds, and the others. Listen to our show, you'll be hooked on the brothers. Yeah, yeah. Welcome to the RPG Backtrack, where we talk about computer and console role-playing games from the way back when, right up through yesteryear. Here are your hosts, Phil Willis and Mike Minky. And that announcer is correct. This is the one, the only RPG Backtrack. This is episode 189. No fates, but what we make. I am one of two hosts. I am the one, the only Phil Willis, and this is the one and only Mr. Mike Minky. Yep, I am here. I am very happy to be talking about Fire Emblem Fates instead of... Actually, I've repressed already what I was doing at the job today. It involved too many boring things, so let's move on. That's right. We're going to make sure this podcast isn't boring, because just like Fire Emblem Fates, we are a trinity of guests today, because we have Miss Cassandra Ramos. Hello, everybody. We have Mr. Washua Marpenter. How many episodes do I have to be on before you get my name right? I don't know. How many episodes have you been on now, Cassandra? Uh, well, it's been like seven years. I don't know how many episodes okay. that was, though. Seven years there, bud. Okay. How many more years you have left? I got something to look forward to. All right. Well, don't worry. You're not the keep, only... Keep in mind, Josh, you may be hoping for more than you can actually get. Phil is notorious for not being predictable in this regard. Yeah. Well, don't worry, because we also have Miss Melly Kyan here. Yeah, I've just been resigned to my fate. Fate, I like it. That's a great segue, because today we're talking about Fire Emblem Fates. Get it? Ooh, that's nice. I saw what you did there. I try to be clever. Keyword dry. 
y'all excited? We got a lot to talk about, because even though we're really just kind of talking about one game, it's actually like three games. It's three games in one, it's one game in three. It's sneaky. Yeah. It's three games for thrice the price. Oh, ooh, it's one of those triple changer transformers. Remember those back from the 80s? How it just blew your mind when there was a transformer that could change into two different vehicles? No, actually. I'm going too far back, aren't I? Anyways. I was a Care Bear kid. I'm sorry, Phil. You, My main knowledge of Transformers is those horrible recent movies, and that's not the way they should be. No. I did watch the old cartoon, but I don't remember anything about the toys. Yeah. My main knowledge of Transformers was buying my husband all the Dinobots on eBay for Christmas this year, and that was an exercise in frustration. Well, imagine, boys and girls, a game where you can make a decision near the beginning of the game, and that takes you on one of three completely different paths. That drag- Provided you paid for them. Yeah. Yeah, provided yes. you paid for them all. <laughs> that is... Fire Emblem Fates, and that is what we're going to talk about today, and it is a big bundle of discussion, so we're going to jump right into it as soon as we come back from this musical selection. This is the main event where we take a game or series of games and we dive into the juicy entrails that are located therein. In this particular case, this is a game, but in a way it's kind of like a tiny series of games, depending on how much of the DLC chapters you bought. We are discussing Fire Emblem Fates. It was developed by Intelligent Systems and Nintendo SPD, published by Nintendo, released on the Nintendo 3DS on June 25th, 2015. Fire Emblem Fates is a tactical RPG, single-player, and multiplayer experience. Someone's going to have to explain the multiplayer to me. I didn't I do it, so free, I have no idea. Free passing, and also free you could pa- visit yeah. each other's um, visit each other's my castles uh, via the you know over the internet. Though you could, couldn't really be the same time as a person. All right. Yeah, and and, and you could kind of like take on and attack their castle, and you would mm-hmm. get bonuses if you won, and mm-hmm. the uh, person whose castle you attack would get bonuses if you lost. Well, well speaking of bonuses. So, Fire Emblem Fates is a game that you could buy, but then I saw, when when this game was first announced, they said that there was going to be a special edition, and it was going to have these additional chapters included, and some other stuff. And so I was super excited, I ran to Amazon, and despite the fact that I stay on top of the news, it was already sold out. It was just yeah. like that. In true Nintendo fashion, they really handled this collector's edition poorly because it was, if I remember correctly, it was only on Amazon for like a brief window of time. And unfortunately, it's like the best, in my opinion, the best version of the game because all three parts are on one cart. Yes, uh, that yeah, the special edition. I lucked out and got that. I, I pre-ordered in a store. I don't know if that made it any easier. No, I, I, I lucked out and I pre-ordered it on Amazon, and this was actually the um, game that motivated me to spend the money on Prime so that I could get it day one. Uh, and 
to be fair, it's it's a neat little collector's edition because, like I said, it comes with all three games on one cart and a little bag for your 3DS and uh, the what else and a, and a little art oh, book. little and keychains. It came with little keychains too. Mm-hmm. Well, let me look on eBay right now. <laughs> oh, Fire Emblem Fates Special Edition ends on Friday afternoon, which is three days from now, and the current bid is one hundred twenty-one dollars and fifty cents. We've got twenty-six bids. I'm sure it will go higher from there, and the rest of the buy it now seem to all be in the $180, $190 range. So what happens is if you weren't one of those fortunate few people, then you had to do what I had, and you still wanted the complete experience, then you had to go ahead and, and buy these chapters separately, which is what I did. And it still ends up costing a pretty penny. So let's talk about these chapters, because there may be some people listening to this who have no clue what we're talking about. Campaigns would be easier to call them campaigns because chapters and fire emblem is a single map you so that's good or campaigns whatever yeah and just to point out that the reason why uh the game kind of wanted it like this is because they wanted to make the major decision to be even hard when you were making your purchase decision that was their justification for doing it like this yeah. yeah, and technically it's more like two paths, and one of them was actually released later, unless you got the special edition, the Revelation one. Yeah, so there's a decision that you make in the game, close to the beginning, after a few maps in, that depending on what chapters you bought, <laughs> it'll tell you, oh, you can't take that region and bought that chapter yet, try this one. <laughs> Um, yeah. But then there was also a decision I, you made before you even bought the game, because if you knew this ahead of time, because you bothered to read a few reviews or the, the, the description or whatever have you, you know, then you were actually making the decision probably more on meta reasons, because there were differences between them, right? Yeah. What's funny is that on the MasterCard, if you finish one game and start a new game, it lets you skip those preliminary chapters and go straight to the decision point. Yep. Mm-hmm. Which is awesome that they did it like that, and sucks that nobody else gets it like that. But yeah, mm-hmm. you have the three different paths. You have the birthright, which was set up to be basically like it was supposed to be closer to Awakening, where it was supposed to be a game for people who are kind of new to the series, and the maps are a little bit more straightforward, and the gameplay is a little bit easier, and you can grind in between maps. And then Conquest was kind of designed for series veterans, where it's the 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 gameplay is quite a bit tougher, and there's no there's no optional maps for grinding. And then uh, the uh, Revelations was supposed to be like a DLC that would work kind of in between the two for everyone. So that was kind of the setup of the three different routes. Mm-hmm. And story-wise, Revelation, as the name implies, revealed things that were hinted at, but never at all revealed in the, but not at all stated in the other two paths as well. Yes. So I I only played one of the games as. Is there one true path or like one canon path, or is it? I, I Fire Emblem is a multiverse now, so I guess all three of them happened in some permutation somewhere out there in a great multiverse. Okay, I I wasn't sure if it was like the Clue movie where it was like, okay, this is what really happened in Revelations. <laughs> I, I think, yeah, if you wanted to say there's one true path, it probably would be Revelations, because at least in Revelations, you actually do get the fire emblem shows up. So maybe, yes. that's, maybe that's your way to say that that was the true path. To find out who the actual real villain is behind all this. Yeah, yeah. Well, plus there was there was mechanical, a little bit into as far as that, that the birthright was the easier path. Not only were the, the maps designed a bit easier, but 
it had a lot more open access to grinding up your relationships and experience where from my understanding conquest unless you have some very special dlc <laughs> just basically just takes your, yeah just just kind of runs you right through from one map to the next right mm-hmm. yeah so you're yeah, it's like an older fire emblem game exactly. in that respect and what about what about uh, so if you got if you did if you you couldn't get you couldn't get revelation right unless you had both birthright and no you, you get don't. revelations right away unless you bought the um, special edition um, revelations I think came back came out like that March either yes. that March or that February yeah it came off a, a few months later I think now you can download it standalone but it's not recommended mostly and, for the story, story reasons ah. And so, with, was there anything mechanically? So, how would make Revelation work out mechanically? Was it? Yeah, it still was had it harder. A, I believe, no, the, the map. I believe the world map is still traversable. It's it's in between, and most notably, the maps are kind of more puzzle like. Like, there's a there's a more interesting things you can do on the map, but it's not quite the intricacies of Conquest, and certainly less certainly not as simple as Birthright. So it's in between, but also interestingly puzzly. Okay, cool. And if now Mr. Apps will hopefully get to join us later on today, but I would I would step in and say for on his behalf that uh, that while Birthright is the easiest, it is also according to him, and we'll talk about this more in the story. But he would say that it's the most boring, lame story ever. That the that, that the conquest it's here. much more Stay exciting. Here. So see, I I enjoyed Birthright's story for the most part, but it definitely felt like a step down compared to Awakening. I think I will say I wasn't crazy about the story in any of the three routes, but uh, the the one redeeming factor for me for Birthright is that I I like the characters in Birthright slightly more than I did <laughs> in uh, Conquest, and um, I just felt like that the uh, Birthright also has the the kingdom that you're in, Hoshido, has more of an Eastern style than we've ever had in Fire Emblem. Fire Emblem's always been kind of European medieval fantasy, and Hoshido kind of introduced that kind of an eastern style that was different and interesting both into the architecture but also the the units that you use as well the classes especially they're all they're all like in you know japan's in japanese inspired some of them are obvious parallels to traditional classes some are entirely unique Mm -hmm. not seen before in a fire emblem uh that's the one thing that kept me going in birthright otherwise with all the slog and i have to disagree i actually i still prefer the conquest characters slightly more than birthright (laughs) Yeah, I thought your adopted siblings in Conquest were pretty nice people on the on the whole. Much more engaging, much more interesting. Less, I mean, having a little, only a played little... Conquest, I can't say how your genetic siblings turn They're out. They're not really his genetic, his her genetic siblings. Yeah. <laughs> we'll that, that. That, that comes in Revelations, yeah. Oh, <laughs> not really, okay. You, and not actually, if you do, if you do go into the supports with your siblings, the the, the Hoshino siblings, they'll out pretty openly say, like you know. Mikoto, their you know the biological mother of the avatar is not their biological mother. It was somebody else that their father had buried previously. So they do say that if if you do engage in a supports with that character. So uh, the okay, twisted okay. web we weave when we start lying. <laughs> it's uh, you know trying yeah, to have it too. I feel like I missed out on a lot by skipping out on revelations and uh, conquest from what you guys are saying. I, I, you know, like if you're talking about playing all three, so this is what happened to me. I started with Birthright, I moved on to Conquest, and then by the time I got into Revelations, I was starting to get kind of burnt out on the whole, on this game as a whole, because you're approaching like a 130 hours of Fire Emblem straight, and it's just kind of like a lot of Fire Emblem. Oh, in yeah, one that's, go. 
that's exactly what happened to me. It's that I put so much time and energy into Birthright that when I finished, like, it's like, okay, time to hit the next side of the coin. And then I just was like, I need to play something else for a while. I am so fire emblemed out and just never picked it back up. Yeah, see, for me, I, I started Conquest, and that got me so excited because, you know, it was, it's a throwback to the to the earlier games. I just, I love that gameplay. Mm-hmm. And then I went to Birthright, and I, I apparently spent, like, a, like 10 hours more on that, even though it's supposed to be, I, I put it on harder to make it more interesting, but it was just such a slog. Went on to Revelation, and that got me more interested again. But but definitely after all that, I was just like, okay, I'm Fire Emblemed out for the rest of the year. <laughs> yeah. It was definitely like, you know, after Awakening, I was like, well, I could definitely use more Fire Emblem. And I felt like I wished on a monkey's paw. And... <laughs> <laughs> it's like, here's all the Fire It's just like, I was like, like I could have gone back and gotten all the supports like I did for Awakening. But it's just like, no, no, no. Let me put away for a while. And I went and played a whole entirely different Fire Emblem game in the form of uh, Shadows of Valentia. And I still haven't really gotten back to that yet, except for now. I was, I was I was starting to go through some supports and getting recruiting characters I hadn't in preparation for this episode. I'll probably still put it away just because, but anyway. Well, we usually like to start off by going into the story. So, but there's three different stories here. So let's do it. Let's do Birthright, then go to Conquest, then go to Revelation. Who yeah. Who wants to start with Birthright? Well, well, we can kind of start with a prologue because there's a little bit that happens before you get to the choice between the three. So, like, the game kind of opens in the prologue. You have the avatar. Is, is the default name Corrin? Default the, name yeah. is Corrin. Although you can Thoughts give him or her name you want. Yep. Once again, customizable avatar, just like uh, Awakening, where you can, you know, like, change change the gender, change the name, change the uh, look a little bit anyway. Mm-hmm. So, Corrin is a... A young member of the Norian royal family has been living in isolation at this fortress for years, basically their whole life. And he's been training, he or she has been kind of training to earn the king, the king's approval, the king of Nor's approval so he can leave the fortress. So right at the beginning of the game, Garen finally, King Garen finally gives Corrin permission to leave. And the first task he gives Corrin is to execute some prisoners from Hoshida, which Corrin refuses to do. But then, you know... after after that, he, well, Corin kind of like, I believe he like sneaks them out and lets them escape. Is that the first time where he kind of like, I can't remember, if, does he get away with it? It's been a long time. Uh, I don't remember. I know that like from the get go, I'm like, this dad is a douche. <laughs> well, that's kind of the point. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I can't remember if the if he catches them or not. But anyway, he lets the lets the Hashido prisoners get away. And his next mission is sent out to like scout an abandoned outpost out at the bottomless canyon. But once he gets there, his uh the him and his retainer, Gunter, are betrayed by kind of like the, the other Norian soldier that's sent with them. And Gunter gets shoved off into the canyon and it, it, this is the point where Corrin kind of discovers his latent dragon abilities, where he can kind of like turn into this dragon creature and attack enemies. Well, that it, the parts of his body starts doing that. He doesn't go full dragon until yeah. uh, later on, but yep. Yeah, so, so it's shape shifting parts, which yeah. is strange at first. <laughs> and tells you this is going to be slightly different, a little different from the, from the your normal fire emblem. Um, but anyway, you know he, but. 
anyway, Corrin falls into the canyon thanks to this sword that King Garen gave gave him earlier when he set off on this quest. Um, but Corrin is saved by his other retainer, Lilith, who saves him by bringing him to the Asterial Realm. And um, th- I believe this is our first... I- is this where we get introduced to the My Castle? Or yeah, no, it's a uh, little... No. A little after, I think a little after that, maybe. Because, yeah, she brings you to the astral realm. She reveals herself to be an astral dragon. That looks yeah. a lot like a koi, a big mm-hmm. koi fish. <laughs> and she can't go back to human form anymore for some reason. That, so yeah, whatever. For reasons. There, there's a lot of for reasons in this game. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, after, after leaving the astral realm... Um, Corrin kind of is knocked out, kidnapped, and taken to Hoshido. And that's where he meets Queen Makoto, who reveals that Corrin was a lost child of, actually, of the uh, Hoshido royal family, was where he was originally born. Or at least that's what she tells him at this point. And he was kidnapped by Nor many years ago, back on when Hoshido had sent, like, a peace mission to Nor. Yes, they had Um, killed the the, the, the king, Sumirage, back then, too. Sumirage, no, Sumirage, yeah, Sumeragi. Yeah, they kill the king and they capture Corrin and kind of take him as their own. So being stunned at this revelation, Corrin collects his thoughts at a nearby lake where he meets Azura, the Norian princess who is kidnapped by Hushido and raised by them. So they have this huge gathering to announce the return of the long-lost prince Corrin, and this hooded figure steals the sword that Corrin, you know, that Corrin had been given by King Garen, and he uses it to like induce this huge explosion, killing all kinds of people who have been gathering in the square, including the queen. And I believe the queen kind of like sacrificed herself to save Corrin. So the explosion kind of also reveals like in the, the remnants of a statue in the middle of town, the sword that levitates and flies right into Corrin's hand. And this is the Yato sword. It's chosen Corrin. He's going to have a great destiny to change the world. So with the death of the queen... There actually had been a magical barrier that protected Hoshido from invasion, and it was gone. So the Norian army is now on the march towards Hoshido. So now the two armies meet on the plains, led by their respective royal families. And Corrin has to choose, you know, whether to side with his birth family, which is birthright, or, or with birthright, the family that raised him, which is conquest, or set out on his own and forge his own path. Before then, that's when he goes full dragon, and he's able to seal his dragon form into a dragon stone. Very reminiscent of the Monarchites in earlier games, but apparently not really the same thing. So that gets us, if we're going to start with Birthright, that gets us to Birthright. So, you know, assuming you choose Birthright, or assuming you've already made the choice if you bought Birthright and (laughs) didn't have the special edition... um, Corrin, kind of unwilling to return to the king who caused the deaths of, you know, all those civilians, he chooses to side with his Hoshido siblings and fight to protect Hoshido from Nor. So the beginning of the route kind of starts with Corrin fighting his way across Hoshido and protecting the Norian armies. But then kind of news comes that Ryoma and Takumi, the, the princes of Hoshido, have kind of like gone missing fighting Nor on the border. And Corrin takes his army off to kind of like find them. And that leads him through a bunch of kind of like these neighboring states, most of which were kind of like neutral. And, you you know, you fight some battles through them, like the Wind Tribe and Izumo and the Ninja Valley. And it, it eventually kind of he re- reunites with Takumi. And he kind of decides at this point, he decides to take the fight into Nor to invade Nor. So they sail to the country of Nestria, this another neutral country on the south of the continent. It's kind of like internationally known for its singers and dancers. And that's where you have this big 
opera scene that like was used in all the advertisements and other stuff. And, and they have a big animated section where um, Azura is disguised to kind of look like this famous singer that King Garen has come to see, and she sings a song that harms Garen. But unfortunately, this plan to kind of attack King Garen doesn't work because they're betrayed by uh, this uh, person that they picked up through all when they were fighting through all the neighboring states. And it turned out he was a Norian spy. So after their plan to tackle King Garen fails, they keep pushing on. And they start fighting their way basically through the Norian royal family, through Camilla, um, through Leo. They finally kind of meet back meet back up with Rioma, who's been kind of leading the resistance in some of these um, uh, provinces over here on the edge of Nor. And right along in here, you start kind of getting references that the uh, enemies start making to traitors in the midst of Hashidan forces. And they'll they'll keep that will keep coming back up. So after more travails, they you know they they face. Leo again and defeat him and they manage to convince him of the righteousness of their cause. So Leo kind of um, tells them that they need to go out, go out and search the rain, search out the rainbow sage. And he gives them this warp spell to just get there immediately. And we learned that there's like a, a number, there've been like a few people who've met with a rainbow stage before. There was Sumeragi, the former King of Hishido and King Garen and Xander, the, uh, the, the Prince of uh, Nor have all gone and, kind of been blessed by the rainbow shade. So once they reach the top of the mountain, past the trial, the sage blesses Corrin's sword, and the Yato kind of transforms slightly and becomes the noble Yato. So now the the party is, like, pushing on towards the Norian capital, and you're, you're kind of seeing how just devastated that country is, that there's just no resources. It's I, yes. I remember it being pretty bleak, dark. Yeah, it's dark life. most of the time there for some reason, so they don't have a lot of farmland, and thus they have to go elsewhere, and thus explaining their warlike nature. Yep, that, that's why they're going and attacking everybody and <laughs> taking stuff from them, because they have, have nothing. Um, so as, as they get to the um, as they get to the capital, you know, more more fights against more of the royal members. They meet Elise, the young the youngest member of the Norian royal family who tells us that Garen has become even colder and more callous in recent months. And now we get, you now Elise is kind of tagging along with our party and we run into Camilla again, who, who, um, but we managed to defeat her as well and kind of convince her to that, that, you know, in the, the rightness of our cause. And then finally we get, you know, as we're working our way through, we, uh, we, we have to fight Hans, which is the guy who had betrayed us and tossed us into the bottomless canyon back at the back in the prologue. And just as Hans is about to overwhelm Corrin, Lilith pops back up again and shields Corrin from the final blow, dying in the process. And after that sacrifice, Corrin kind of rallies and leads his troops to defeat Hans. And that happens again. We'll, we'll see that happening again in Conquest, the exact same basic path again with Lilith sacrificing herself right about in the same point in conquest. Mm -hmm. There's, there's a lot of beats that repeat between birthright and conquest. Huh? What recycled story bits? Get out. Just get out. No, it's like I'm playing the same game three times. No kidding. (laughs) (laughs) Keep going. All right. So as they approach the throne room, uh, Iago surprises them and revealing that, the, the traitor who they've kind of been setting up all the way along Birthright is actually Takumi, who's he he's had under a spell this entire time. But Azura sings her uh, 
sings her song and manages to break the spell over Takami. I almost think I need Chris here, like, singing it for me, yeah, like, you are the ocean's gray waves. <laughs> yeah, that's... That... seek life beyond the shore, just out of reach. That song I will, will get... song and I love it to pieces. <laughs> I, it got stuck in my head more I, than I would I just it. know the and, little... And then... Oh, go ahead. And then just when I thought I, it had left my head, then I started playing Fire Emblem Warriors, and then it came back. I was about to say, I know that little bit from Fire Emblem Warriors for every time you do the special maneuver or whatever, and she sings that bit when she wipes out with her enemies. But it is cool when she switches between the Birthright and the Conquest song, which I thought was pretty cool, and she wears the different outfits. Just, to, just, and just slightly different, ly- different lyrics. Yeah, slightly it's, different yeah, lyrics. Flip a coin. It's a cool song. It's just you hear it so it's much. Weird. So that, that, much. That, that, those first few bars, you, you don't hear the rest of it all that often. Now well, it's when it's time to switch out with another character. Anyways, you were saying. So, so thanks to Azura's song, you know Takami's okay, and uh, Leo, you're able to defeat Yago, and Leo kind of comes along and just kills him. So now Xander's all that's left that's standing between the army and King Garen, and the two of them face off in single combat. And just as it appears that Xander's about to be victorious and defeat Corrin, Elise jumps in front of Corrin and kind of takes the fatal blow. So now the the two kind of keep fighting, and Corrin comes out victorious, of course, and Xander dies, counting on Corrin to defeat Garen and lead Nor back into peace. So... Like, now at the climax of Birthright, you have Corrin confronts Garen in the royal chamber, King Garen in the royal chamber, and manages to defeat him. However, uh, Garen transforms into a blight dragon. Am I right on that, Cassandra? Yeah, nasty looking thing. Yeah. This game has some weird dragons. Very weird dragons. (laughs) I mean, look at Corrin. It's like like a deer. Looks like a a deer. And it looks like the Pokemon Arceus with the dragon plate, and somebody took that too literally. Yeah. You know... I thought I was crazy when I thought that when I played this. <laughs> like that 40? it looked like a Pokemon. Yeah. And then it, it will get, there's another very crazy looking dragon. Yeah, th- this game has some really messed up dragons. <laughs> so after Garen transforms into the Blight. Oh, yeah, yeah, okay. I'm right in the right place. Garen, Garen transforms into the Blight dragon and he breaks the Yato and fatally wounds Corrin. And then you have kind of like a dream sequence. Or, you know, Corrin's kind of unconscious, and then he's visited by Flora and Lilith and Xander and all the, you know, he's kind of seeing all the people are telling him to get up and, you know, go and fight. And so he, he you know, he, he manages to regain his consciousness. And once he's, you know, he, once he's recovered, they reforge the Yato and unlock its full potential thanks to, uh, I believe it wasn't, wasn't it Takami's with his uh, uh, weapon? I, I want to say yes. I can't quite remember. <laughs> I can't remember. It's with one of his brothers. One uh, of the weapons. yeah, one of the special weapons that you don't find out much about until when do you find out about those darn weapons? But anyway, Is also revelations. I can't remember. It's either revelations or it, it might be those those uh, like ancient texts in my castle. Oh, yeah, which are maybe. which are great. Like, but yeah, anyway, <laughs> the really obtuse things to find. Yeah, yeah, yeah. At least um, it's not behind DLC. It's just hidden in code. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so what, now with the blazing Yato, the Hashidan army kind of proceeds to fight Garen, and Azura uses her special song again to weaken him. And after a lengthy battle, Korra and Azura and the Hashidan army takes down Garen. And Can I just say that this that, that song? I mean, it's, it's three it's three songs that for for each three paths, and they're very similar. But uh, it's like end of all. 
either is it sky, land, or below. It, it that is a really awesome rendition of that familiar tune mm-hmm. of Lost in Thoughts All Alone. Very awesome. I forgot. Doesn't doesn't the song Weakener? Yes. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That's what I was getting to. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Every time she sings the song, it weakens her, and yeah. So after the battle, she uh, disappears and thanks Corn for ending the war. Which the same thing happens at the end of Conquest too, where she just kind of like disappears. I don't remember exactly how she disappears. No, she just she dis- they, yeah, they just she like in Birthright, she actually dissolves into water because she used up all her energy singing that song. And that's right. It was it was after the battle. You see her, yeah. you're talking to her next to the lake, and then she kind of disappears, right? Yes, yes. I think so. Yeah, Conquest. You don't see her dissolve. She just you know you follow her to the lake but you can't find you can't see her you can hear her maybe the same thing happened maybe she just ran away who knows <laughs> so after the battle with the death of the king the war is over now both kingdoms are at peace and without real rulers so Ryoma takes it upon himself to you know take over the as king of Hushido and at his ascension you got Camilla and Leo have shown up and Camilla's you know relinquished her title to the as the rightful ruler, nor making Leo the new king. And at the newly rebuilt castle town, they've erected a statue of Makoto, and the Hoshidan siblings vow to continue to restore peace to the world and to the statue of their mother, with Corin continuing to help their, you know, his, his true birthright siblings. Whew, so that's birthright. One down. One down. Next one. Three to go. Who wants to go? You want to do I, I Conquest? Don't, I don't hear an app's appearing, so we may have to start into Conquest without yeah, it. Yeah, I'll have to. Conquest, who wants to do Conquest? Not everybody wants. I I, I can't, I didn't play it. It's like, I, I I mean, I try, I can't remember every beat of that. I know we have that, um, I have a little help, but this help keeps closing on me. <laughs> Stupid help. You get to play the cool guys, the bad, the, the, the supposed bad guys, which are cool. That's what I remember. Yeah. Maybe that maybe that one will stop closing on you and will be more helpful. Maybe. Then. Let's see here. Okay, so... But yeah, so... But yeah, Corrin chooses to side with their, you know, their North siblings they grew up with. Uh, no, because... no, Cassandra. If you only have Conquest, then you don't get to make the choice. You get Well, told... I, had the, I had the three of them, so I, I could make that choice. I had the three... Rub I had, it I had in! The I had the pack, so I could make the choice, Ma- darn it. Max sent me Conquest... Only conquest, so I didn't have that choice. I got told you do not have the additional data necessary to p- make this choice. You're playing oh, conquest. No. It really tells you that. That's terrible. Yeah, <laughs> I am paraphrasing, but it does make basically un- it make very. It makes very clear. Oops, you didn't get the rest of the game. You can't play the rest of the game. <laughs> Some why, even, why have the choice? Some <laughs> some would say no, that it's there you get it's... to make the choice, except you don't get to make the choice because the other choice is not available, or you have to download it. <laughs> some some would say that the most defining characteristic of an RPG is the power of choice. Fire Emblem, it comes with a price. <laughs> At least price of forty US dollars. Yeah. I I think it's cheaper if you like if you have one of them and you download the other two paths, you basically get them all for eighty dollars, if I recall correctly. Yeah, yeah, I thought that they so did, did something like that. So yeah, you did save money if you bought one and downloaded the other two. If you and want them was... in physical form, then you gotta pay full price. What happened if you bought both car- like if you bought both carts separately? Did anything happen? Not to my knowledge, no. You could probably still have you could download Revelation and probably play through Revelation on either one, but I doubt anything happened if you just bought them separately. 
Okay. But anyway, okay, so let's get into this conquest. So Corrin sides with their Norian siblings, you know, and it's he, he, they uh, want to know about Gowron's true intentions because they, you know, he knows they're up to, they're up to no good. For, he's up to no good for sure. So when they return to the castle, Gowron isn't pleased to see Corrin return. He accuses them of being a spy and orders his, uh, Xander to kill Corrin. Corrin, however, offers to sacrifice herself and Gowron reconsiders. He seeks the counts. He seeks actually. You see the beginning of the game too. You see him uh, like, uh, like speaking in his mind to a dragon god called Anankos. You'll find out about Anankos more later, or again if you take the time to decode the uh, ancient texts in my castle. Yeah, I remember when I was playing this the first time. I think I just kind of wrote that off as like, oh, you know, it's like he's praying to God. Okay, you know, whatever. <laughs> I didn't realize like it was meant a little bit more literally. Yes. So anyway, so Gowron sends Cora on a test for to test their loyalty to suppress the Ice Tribe's rebellion. Uh, so Corrin actually went with the goes with the help of two other recruits, uh, Silas, who is a paladin, a, a cavalier, and Felicia or Jacob, depending on their gender. You get to recruit both of them, but if the if you're but if Corrin is female, it is Jacob, a butler, and if Corrin is male, it is Felicia, a maid. Which are, of course, new classes in this game. And, you know, why not have Warfront fan service? But anyway. So they quell the rebellion. They heal the injured. And there's, not, and there's little loss in life despite suppressing the Ice Tribe. Uh, Gowron, uh, like, Gowron is angry at Corrin at first for not following direct orders. But forgives them anyway and sends a boss to uh, Notre Sagis. Which I believe is a... Which I believe is one of the neutral countries that are near Nor. Yeah. One of those so. that... Are, yeah, they don't get a like. There's a lot of countries mentioned here, but barely any time paid attention to them. Yeah, between the two games, there's a bunch of those neutral countries, kind of like I guess in between the two of them, and you'll just kind of show up for one chapter and move on and yeah. never really talk about them again. Yeah, and their cultures are surprisingly not unsurprisingly similar to the ones near nearby. Izumo looks a lot, you know, just looks Japanese. Uh, no, you know, Notre Sagis and um, that. I keep, can't remember the pla- that place where the uh, that looks a lot like Venice. Yeah, the singing uh, place. Yeah, yeah. Yes. <laughs> I think of it as the singing place. It's where the where the opera takes place. Yes, where the opera <laughs> takes place. So Corin saves Azura and she joins the party. At this point, uh, Corin has to fight Hinoka, who protect who's protecting a mountain there. He he defeats her, Hinoka, but uh, manages but manages to save them, but but uh, does not kill her outright. I, no, I think it's later on where she just pretends to kill her. Yeah, yeah, it's later on. Yeah, that's at so, the end. I do I do want to mention this where this is the first Fire Emblem I've ever played. Where in pretty much every game I've played before this, when you beat somebody, you kill the person. At, you forgot Awakening then. <laughs> Awakening had plenty of characters that you killed supposedly, and they're still alive. Some of them you get to recruit later as special characters. So no, I don't remember it being this blatant in Awakening, where oh man, we have just dogpiled on you with our swords and bows and arrows and lances and axes. Oh, chop, chop, chop. Oh man, I'm I'm sorry. You have to put those band aids on. Please get out of here, or we might have to dogpile on you with all of our lethal weapons again. Only to watch you get up and walk away with minor injuries again. Ooh, that that must be really painful. Fall from a great height, and she's somehow still alive. But apparently, her brain, but apparently, brain damage, and you can still get to recruit her. Uh, Awakening still bad on that. Wait, I, I don't remember that. Emirate, does that, does that only happen in the? 
not it's DLC. not DLC. You can recruit Emerin if you connected your 3DS to the internet. It's not DLC, but it's uh, you can unlock it by connecting to the internet. Okay, and I didn't do that. <laughs> you can recruit Emerin. You can recruit, but I, we're we're getting off track here. <laughs> okay, <laughs> Mike, I, I call this happens a lot in this game where. In order to keep them in play for the rest of the game, you don't kill your your no, siblings you on the other side. You just beat them up and let them go, even though you've just apparently stabbed them 17 times. Mm-hmm. Yes. Mike, I call this T- T-1000 life expectancy, where you could kill somebody as many times as you want and they will never die. Unless, the Unless story you kill them the right way, apparently. We've, yes. Well, the story perfect, okay. perfect logic. Let's move on. Okay, so Corin meets the Rainbow Sage again. Uh, I guess later in Revelation we can go more into who exactly he is. Uh, but anyway, so Gowron has Iago go there and orders Corin to kill the Sage. They refuses, but the Sage just kind of dies anyway to make him happy. And says, okay, fine. So he, he died even though he didn't really kill him. Whatever. And yeah, that kind of becomes a trend on this route where Corin gets ordered to kill someone and they're just like, Corin's like, myself. I don't want to. And then, uh, yeah, I'll just kill myself. Or, oh, he just died. Well. Yeah, whatever. So anyway, uh, later on, Corin fights Takumi again as he was involved in a rebellion in Shev, which is another one of these neutral states that looks a lot like, like a, a European nation. Uh, Corin wins again. Takumi is not killed. And Takumi is just acting very, very strange. Uh, so later on, Hans, that evil guy who betrayed you early on, massacres the survivors. Corin, you know, doesn't seem to doesn't do anything about it, gets upset about it, of course. Gowron, this is again the scene back at the opera. Gowron is attacked by the song. And after the singer and the Hoshida forces get away, he orders all singers in the city to be executed because, you know, of course. He's Garen. He, you know, he kind of likes killing people. He's kind of evil, you know, if it weren't obvious. So, racked with guilt over the massacre at Shev and the hunt for the Syracusian performers, Corin has trouble sleeping. As they wander the forest, mulling over their thoughts, they see Azura and decide to follow her, figuring that talking to her will help soothe their thoughts. They hear a mysterious song in the air that happens to sound like the one the mysterious singer had used to cause the great discomfort in Gowron. Eventually, Corin finds Azura at a lake where she suddenly vanishes. Corin follows her, eventually falling through a portal that takes Corin to an unknown world. You're only going to find out the, the name of this world if you play Revelation, of course. Mm-hmm. Anyway, although Azura wonders why they followed her, they are not given much time to think as an invisible soldier attacks them, or at least semi-invisible. They're kind of, they kind of flicker in and out. Uh, thankfully, they are rescued by Gunther, who had survived the fall into the bottomless canyon that night from earlier. After they return to their original world, Azura reveals to Corrin that Gowron is no longer human, but an abomination not of this world. She offers Corrin a lens that reveals the true form of Gowron, and he just looks like this nasty, melted, uh, monstrous figure. As Gowron is too far gone to save, Azura's plan is to have him sit upon the throne of Hoshido as reveal his true form. Convenient that. (laughs) Yeah, I think the lens broke from, like, how disfigured he was, so you couldn't use the lens to show anyone else what he actually looked like. Yeah, something like that. Of course. (laughs) So Corrin travels with the Norian army, now in full force, as they proceed to conquer the Hoshidan territories. During their entrance to the Hoshidan capital, Iago orchestrates another attack on Orin on the Eternal Stairway, resulting in the death of Lilith, who took a fatal blow from a faceless ambush. Faceless are these ogre-like monsters that are creation of mages. Sort of just generic uh, shock troops, I uh, so anyway, Corrin is forced to fight each of the royal siblings, though they do their best to spare their lives. Sakura is fought first, but Corrin defeats her forces and takes her as a prisoner of war to protect her. They encounter Takumi, who is defeated, but after the battle, even though he is not fatally wounded, he throws himself off the fort. 
Finally, outside of Castle Shisaragi, Hinoka makes a final stand, but she too is defeated. Korin decides to spare her and tell her to hide until the end of the war, but takes her bloodied Naganada as proof of her execution. The Norin army finally arrives at Castle Shisaragi, where they make the final assault to get Gaurin to the throne. There, Korin presents Hinoka's Naginata to Gaurin as proof of her demise. Iago voices his distrust, but Gaurin believes them and silences Iago. Inside, they encounter Ryoma, who acts as a final defense. Iago throws Hinoka's Naginata and tells Ryoma that Korin killed her, which they begrudgingly are forced to lie that Hinoka was slain by them. Enraged by Korin's actions, Ryoma engages Korin in a one-on-one duel. Despite a grueling duel, Korin barely emerges victorious. As Ryoma lays defeated, Korin tells Ryoma that Hinoka is alive, much to Ryoma's relief. King Gaurin appears and orders Korin to execute Ryoma. Knowing that Korin's goodwill will remain and that Korin will die if they do not execute him, Ryoma performs seppuku to spare them the agony. If the death of Ryoma, Gaurin heads to the throne room to finish his conquest, but forbids his children from entering. And since I played Conquest first, I actually found this extremely shocking. They played this out in like full, uh, a full motion video and... I mean, it's, it can't be that gruesome because it's a T-rated game, but still, you see his lightning sword go right through him and he slices op- and he slices across him and then he dies. Rather shocking, that. Mm-hmm. Anyway, uh, outside, Iago attempts to murder Corrin for sparing Hinoka, but the Norian royal siblings intervene and decide to take down the traitors Iago as well as Hans for staining the glory of Nor with their underhanded schemes. They manage to kill Hans and the Norian army, and Leo executes the treacherous sorcerer. With Iago's death, Corrin reveals that Gowron has been dead and the one they been with is nothing more than a puppet to a greater force. Despite their disbelief in Korin's claims, they decide to enter the throne chamber where they see Gowron's true form. The siblings are saddened by the revelation and take up arms to finally put down their father. Korin attempts to attack Gowron, but the Yato is not strong enough. Suddenly, Xander's Siegfried resonates with the Yato, unlocking its final form, the Chateau Yato. With the power of the Shadow Yato and the army, Gowron is defeated for good. Suddenly, Takumi makes an appearance, wreathed in a mysterious miasma. Using his bow, he shatters Korin's Yato and knocks him unconscious. And believe me, this he's got to be the most dangerous archer in Fire Emblem ever. Yeesh. <laughs> it's just like a final, like, uh, archer final boss? Ha ha ha. And then he, and then he, he, during the battle proper, he's just like, ooh, dang, this guy's hard. <laughs> anyway, story, back to story. Using the bow, he shattered Korin's Yato. Sorry. In the dream, Korin encounters Lilith, Mikoto, and Ryoma, who encourage them to finish the fight. Takumi, the actual Takumi, because the one they were fighting is just a puppet by the same force controlling Gowron, also encourages to encourages Gowron to Gow Corin, what am I saying? To go back. And so they're spare, spurred further by the force of the Norian army, Corin recovers and proceeds to fight alongside the army. Throughout the battle, Azura uses her song to weaken Takumi, and thanks to her efforts alongside Corin and Norian army, Takumi is finally put to rest. However, Azura mysteriously vanished after the battle, likely dissolving into Moadar, much like she did in Birthright. After the war, peace has been restored to both Hoshido and Nor, with nations without their former rulers. Xander takes it upon himself to ascend the throne and take his place as the new king of Nor. Hinoka and Sakura safely survived the war and were set free. With the death of Ryoma and Takumi, Hinoka becomes the new queen of Hoshido, and the peace treaty has been established between the kingdoms. And I, I remember, as I remember, Hinoka's a little bit taken aback because she didn't at all prepare for this, thinking she would ever rule. But mm-hmm. anyway. Though Korin is happy with the success in ending the war, much of their actions are still despised by the people of Hoshido and are still guilt-ridden by these actions. Nevertheless, Korin vows to continue to spread peace for the world, now with his Norian siblings by his side. Whew. And that leaves us with Revelation, the, the third path. Or, I, I don't know, like, it's one of those things, like, I, I still kind of feel like I probably would have been better off only playing one of those first two paths and then moving on to Revelation, just from a... <laughs> amount of fire emblem standpoint but 
Just from it, getting exhausted. Yeah, I know. Yeah. It's just so much Fire Emblem. <laughs> but, you know, Re- Revelation starts out with Corrin kind of like unable to unable to fight against either one of the families, kind of decides to not not ally with either of them and forge his own path. So the two sides immediately start fighting and Corrin tries to take down the commanders of each army to get them to stop fighting. But this only gets both sides to label Corrin a traitor. So... Corrin escapes with Azura from the battlefield and she takes him to the bottomless canyon to reveal the big secret, make the big revelation. Um, so on the at the bottomless canyon lies the at the bottom of the bottomless canyon <laughs> lies the kingdom of Vala. And this used to be a peaceful land that was ruined by Anakanos. Ana, how do you Anankos. That? Anankos, yeah, one of the first dragons that killed the king there and took the throne. So Azura is one of the daughters, is the daughter of the previous king, and she kind of had to flee from Vala to the, like, it's it's established later, it's like a semi-separate world, or? Yeah, it's like, it's this kingdom was locked into like a pocket universe, a pocket dimension, to be hidden from the rest of the world, and the rest of the world was made to forget about, about it due to a curse by Anankos, a very convenient curse. Yes. Yes, uh, Anakos has been manipulating Garen to cause the war on that side, and he intends to conquer that world as well. And yeah, there's this curse that prevents Vala from being discussed when you're not in in Vala. So, you know, that's that's the rationale for why Azura hasn't told anyone about this before. It's never exactly explained why Azura doesn't, like, bring some people to Vala to explain what's going on. But, you know, we'll we'll let it go. (laughs) (laughs) At least not until this path anyway. Yeah, at least not to this path. She fi- finally decided to get off her butt and do something. So now at this point, Corrin has to has his work cut out for him because he obviously has to get Hushido and Nor to work together to kind of fight the the real enemy, Anakanos. So they travel back to their regular world, and Corrin starts traveling around, defeating various Hushido and Nor nobles, sparing them again, once again, always not killing anyone. No, no mortal wounds and trying to get them to join the army with promises of telling them about the real menace later. Um, the invisible forces from Valar kind of making moves, wiping out the city of Sirenskia and leaving forces from Hishido and Nor blaming one another for the atrocity. Once again, Korin and the rest of his army kind of make it again to the Rainbow Sage. He transforms the Yato into the Alpha Yato and reveals that to complete the Seal of Flames with the Yato, Corrin will need the four divine weapons, and then the Seal of Flames will become the Fire Emblem, which will allow for the sealing of Anakonis. Do you remember some more about the Rainbow Sage? I don't okay. remember who he was. I, you remember okay, the- this is actually, again, this was in the... Uh, the, okay, okay, let me just look what the ancient texts are. So in the My Castle, there's this room called Ancient Texts. I, I think it also includes things like you can view all of the skits there. Mm-hmm. But you'll see a bunch of these like uh, different boxes with full of runes. And but there's a convenient little uh, like Rosetta Stone in there, so you can translate them. But if you're you know if you just I overlooked it until I found out about it later, and then had to just read them on the internet. These explain more of the backstory of the game. Uh, one of these uh, explains like the ancient past. Now, Anon Kulse is one of the twelve first dragons. So is the Rainbow Sage. The twelve first dragons were just they were twelve god dragon gods. They ruled the world and they went to war with each other and they used humans as their pawns. Um, eventually, these dragons started going crazy because in Fire Emblem, in a lot of Fire Emblem games, uh, dragons go like over time, dragons go crazy and turn into monsters. So they have to seal their power into stone. So most of the first dragons uh, turned into spirits and left the world behind. 
uh, two dragons stayed behind. One of them was a Nonkos, who sealed his power into a dragonstone, and the other was the Rainbow Sage. So he's actually a dragon in human form, but he's starting to go mad too. Although, at least in one of the paths, he, he kills himself, so I guess he saves from that agony. Yeah, I guess uh, that's so, the explanation for why he killed himself in that other path. <laughs> so that, the Rainbow Sage was also the one who forged the other weapons, because he uh, those weapons helped to stop the war as well, uh, as as well as the help of the rest of the dragons going crazy. So, yeah, I'll, I'll go into Nonkos' backstory a little later on. <laughs> yeah, that comes in the DLC, <laughs> which is unfortunate, but we'll get to that later. Um, so at the climax of the first half, I'm kind of skipping ahead. I'm, I'm, I'm summarizing liberally here. So at, at the climax of the first half of the game, Corrin uh, gets both crown princes. Both of the crown princes kind of decide to join Corrin's quest, and... You know, they meet at the bottomless canyon. The the arm, combined army defeats Hans and Yago, Yago, who were sent by Garen to stop them. And Realma and Xander form a truce between their nations in order to stop the true threat of the kingdom of Vala. And the two armies jump into the canyon. And when they, as they jump into the canyon, Corrin is ambushed by a mysterious assailant. But uh, Scarlet kind of takes the blow for Corrin and dies. So now, having reached Vala, the the army starts traveling through the land and like like you talked about there's some really weird interesting uh, maps kind of interesting puzzly type maps mm-hmm. and but they encounter this valite boy anthony who's supposedly managed to escape anakonos's control however this kind of turns out to be a ploy and he betrays the army uh, but once his you know once the plans are are ineffective he's uh, quickly dispatched he's quickly dispatched by for his failures by Anakanos. And as the army is approaching the Valite castle, unrest begins to form due to a string of attacks on the army, hinting that someone may be a spy. They later encounter, uh, like, an, oh, a resurrected and controlled Arit, who is Azura's mother. After battling her several times, she's finally defeated and freed from Anakanos's control. So now they're finally assaulting the castle, and Corrin encounters, once again, a controlled Makoto, another one of his Anakonos' puppets. Though after defeating her, Makoto reveal, finally reveals that Corrin's actually a member of the Valite royalty. Not, you know, he wasn't one of her kids, or, well, I guess the uh, Shido kids. So, and again, you do find out about this if you see the supports with Corrin and one of the Hoshidan siblings. So, I guess you won't know about it if you play Conquest or don't see the supports with them, but you won't find out until Revelation otherwise. It's kind of tucked away that he's not really a blood sibling. Although... Arete, Azura's mother, and Mikoto are sisters. So Corin and Azura are apparently blood cousins. So, yeah. Yeah, so there's that. <laughs> so after that, they encounter King Sumeragi, who was revealed to kind of be the hooded man back at the beginning of the game who uh, set off the explosion. So I think that I think that was kind of like implying that he was controlled by the uh, Anakanos again. Yes. Yeah. Especially since the, the hill hooded form looks a lot like uh like like Robin being possessed by Grima in Fire mm-hmm. in Fire in Awakening, so yeah. Yeah. Being controlled by a dragon basically makes you wear a hood, I guess. Apparently. <laughs> so Sunamagi. I, I don't remember is... dragon gear being all that big at Hot Topic. <laughs> <laughs> maybe maybe they should recategorize it that way. Yeah. Maybe we should gear. try and and uh, meld vampires and dragons. See what we get there. I'm sure that exists somewhere out there. I'm as sure long as they don't sparkle. <laughs> Has Hot Topic tried to capitalize on it though? Not I mean, it's Hot Topic. They've tried to capitalize on every gothy trend. I wouldn't be surprised. 
I guess somebody just decided that dragons aren't goth enough. Anyway, needless digression. Anyway, so they they eventually manage to bring down Sumeragi, and he expresses pride in his children, knowing they have the strength to end Anakanos. And Sumeragi also says that he, once again, kind of reiterates that Corrin isn't his child, and they have no blood relation to the Hashidan royals. So at the throne room... A trap is set that affects everyone but Corrin and Azura, and Gunter uses this to kind of like say that Corrin and Azura must be the traitors because of their ties to Vala. However, Gunter kind of like accidentally mentions some information about Scarlet that couldn't have been known to anyone but Corrin and whoever attacked Corrin. So Gunter is kind of revealed to be the traitor all along. You have to fight off and defeat Gunter. So... Coming up to the climax of the game, you have Anakanos finally makes a full appearance and attacks the army. He summons King Garen, who offers himself up as a vessel for Anakanos, but Anakanos just devours him instead for the power that he had gifted him. Just kind of like a fitting end for King Garen. And at this point, Korin's Yato resonates with all four of their brother's weapons, transforming it into the Omega Yato, granting the full power to finally end Anakanos. And, and after it's a the long... same weapon he, we, he, she wields in Smash Brothers. <laughs> <laughs> so after a long-fought battle, Anakanos is finally slain, restoring peace. The portal to Vala from the bottomless canyon is sealed, but Vala is reformed with land granted from Hashido and Nor. For their, for their role in the war as the leader of the army, Zura relinquishes her birthright as the crown princess of Vala to Korin, making them the new mar- making Korin the new monarch of the restored Vala. The Shido and Nor formally form an alliance with each other and vow to preserve peace throughout the war. And we yeah. have a happily ever after ending. Yes, and once again, Anon Coast is the most, has to be the most bizarre dragon I've ever seen in anything ever. Like, most of its body looks like what you might expect, but its head has, like, its mouth is holding what looks like a giant rock inset with eyes in it. It has no actual eyes where you think its eyes should be. Like, and, and the top of its head has, like, these weird spikes on it, too. So, I don't know if they, if, like, Anonkos always looked like that or if going, like, going mad, like, like degenerating and going mad somehow changed its physical appearance, too. It's really freaky-looking character. <laughs> but... That wasn't everything. There was DLC, right? Cassandra, yes. you were the one there... that played a little bit of that. Yes. I, got, I was burnt out by the end of those three routes, and I, I was just kind of done with the story anyway. Yes. Uh, I bought I bought all the DLC because they actually had a very nice... Like, it was a lot cheaper to buy all the DLC for Fates than it was for Awakening. In Awakening, yeah. I got, like, very... Huh? Didn't they have, like, two different season passes? I remember I bought, like, the first season pass of the stuff, and yeah, I they thought had... there were, like, two... Yeah, there were two, but still buying both was still cheaper than spending like fifty-two dollars on all the DLC on Awakening. Oh yeah, much cheaper. I think it was Awakening. like I think it was like twenty-five, thirty dollars, something relatively reasonable like that. So I just something. sprung for it, even though I, I I barely touched any of it. Uh, the most important one to the story I played is called Hidden Truths. Uh, in Hidden Truths, uh, there's actually we didn't mention this earlier because we didn't really go into the characters, but um, I guess we'll do it. But for Hidden Truths, you see three characters who will look very familiar if you played Awakening. It's Severa, Owain, and Inigo. Uh, they are summoned to the world, to the Fates world, and there they meet a hooded figure who says they are Anonkos. And this is the human side of Anonkos, and he goes into explaining what happened to him, like his origin story. He explains that he was one of the 12 dragons, but he stayed out of the war with the rest of the dragons because he loved humans and just, he didn't want to fight. He didn't want to use them to fight. So he bided his time until the war was over. And he, he uh, decided to become a figurehead of the kingdom of Vala because he was always close to them. However, over time, 
uh, he because he's a dragon, he start his own power drives him mad, and even taking on a human form doesn't help anything. So he to try to help to help stave off his madness, he writes several songs. These are the songs that Azura will later sing, and he gives a piece of his dragon stone to the uh, royal family of Vala because that dragon stone helps enhances the song, and I believe it also like saps power from the singer, which is why Azura may eventually die if she overuses it. Uh, so, but over time, despite all those safeguards, it's just not enough. He tries to help, like, satiate his, uh, his bloodlust, because he just has this desire to destroy things and kill people. He tries to take it out by raising a forest, but it freaks out everybody in the kingdom of Vala, and, uh, they want to try to kill him. This enrages him, so, uh, Anankos kills the king, but for a moment, his sanity comes back, and he realizes what he'd done, so he tears out a piece of his soul, and this takes on a human form. This human form is the human Anankos that the three Awakening characters are talking to. And then the dragon Anankos, completely overcome by madness, goes, takes over Vala, seals it into a pocket dimension, uh, makes that curse that prevents anybody from talking about it outside of Vala, and sets the course of the events so that for, you know, to control Nor and to make it fight with Hoshido and eventually just take over the world and uh, make people suffer because he's just, one, he's crazy, and two, he thinks everybody has abandoned him and forgotten about him because he's crazy and he kind of made himself him to begin with, so, you know, go figure. Uh, the human Anankos eventually finds and falls in love with uh, Mikoto, and he has a child with her. That child is Corin. So that's why Anankos has brought those three over, because he has somehow heard, I guess, being a dragon god means he has some knowledge of the multiverse, found out that those three have helped to take down another massively powerful godlike dragon, which is Grima. And uh, this actually has some... So, but anyway, I'm getting to spoiler territories here with uh, another recent game. But anyway... Uh, so they try, they want to help him, but uh, the dragon Anankos' forces hear about them and try to fight, you know, try to kill them because Anankos wants them to watch over his child, wants them to watch over Corrin. Uh, eventually, after fighting through maps, they run into Lilith. And you, here's you find out that Lilith was not originally just an astral dragon. She was a child. How Anankos sired her, we never find out. But uh, she is trying to, she is fighting for... Anankos trying to stop them. Uh, the three, uh, the, the three um, awakening characters manage to escape. They also give themselves new names. Severa becomes uh, Selena. Uh, Owain becomes Odin, and uh, Inigo becomes Laszlo. But they, re they rename themselves. It's not like they change all that much. They also get a little empowered by Anankos's dragon's blood, but just a little bit. This is a little shout out to um, the uh, both Awakening and the uh, two Super Nintendo Super Famicom games, Genealogy Holy Ultra Thrasia Seven Seven Six, where people there form blood bonds with dragons to gain their power. But uh, anyway, I'm getting ahead of myself there. Uh, Lilith like almost kills like does like has a non is laying on the ground dying, but he says to her that he still loves her even though he barely knows her somehow I, I, i'm sure it's more to the, the conversation when we're getting it somehow this wins her over and she defects from the dragon anonkos's control and decides that she will go to the astral dragons for their help and presumably this is how she turns into an astral dragon too and from there she eventually becomes the uh the maid servant to uh corin later on in history and so from there the uh the three awakening characters become uh uh, become uh, like vassals to the uh, to the Norian siblings, or three of them anyway. 
and which is odd, but I don't quite remember why they did that and didn't go to Hoshido. I think like trying to run away from Anonkos messed something up, but uh, there you go. And again, this is how you find out the main villain's motivation. They actually portray him as a, you know, as a tragic character, as, you know, he's not just crazy and evil for the sake of it. He's crazy and evil because his own draconic powers is driving him to do it. And you don't know about this unless you play the Blasted DLC. It seems kind of crazy they left that in DLC. <laughs> the yes. motivation of the bad guy. It, like, it seems kind of crazy that there's a decision that you can make at the beginning of the game that, you know, takes you down three different roads. That's DLC! <laughs> well, it's not DLC. You just have to buy three separate. You have to buy three games. But, but, but I guess it's a very similar idea. Just like, yeah. oh yeah, just lock the whole story behind even more money. Just like, I mean, the villains in this game are already extremely shallow. <laughs> So it's just like the one complex villain you you only know about. He's only complex if you play the DLC. And there's uh, uh, for other DLC, there's also um, a special Heirs of Fate, which is like, I think, four or five maps, which is all concentrated on the second generation. But I didn't play those because, oh, God, the second generation in this game. I don't like them. I'll just say that. That sounds like a transition. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, because we haven't talked about the characters. Yes. Where's Apps? I thought he had things to say about the second generation in this game. He's <laughs> uh, not able to make it, I guess. I mean, well, let's just talk about the characters themselves and then worry about the second generation after the first generation. To be fair, I like the characters in this game quite a bit. Oh, I uh, I like... I, I do like them. I don't like them as much as... Uh, most of, a lot of the series, like not a lot of them. I guess I, I guess I like them more than most than most of the GBA characters. Uh, but uh, the the Tellius games and Shadow Dragon, but honestly, Shadow Dragon's characters are kind of shallow. Um, but the, the Tellius games, Awakening, and Shadow of Valentia, no, at least maybe indivi- maybe some individually, but not all as a collective. They're good people. I don't, you know, I, I don't dislike them. It's actually kind of funny because in Awakening, I didn't give two craps about the, you know, making kids and the second generation. And in this game, I, most of my time was spent leveling up the ranks so that I could make the kids. Mm-hmm. But I didn't even really have a, I, I basically just picked waifus for everybody. I did not do any sort of, like, looking up a spreadsheet or oh, trying forget- to... Oh, forget that. It's it's all about it's all about who has the best chemistry in my at least in my opinion. But although in at least in both cases, the first time around I was just like, okay, let's just see where the chips fall and see what happens. See, according to Anna, you've got to plan out your kids. That's no, what she, that's what she told Chris. Berated Did I have Chris a fire did. emblem breeding program? Yes, yes, exactly. Heck no. <laughs> that's too much work although, for me. There's only one couple in this game I actually really like, and that's uh, Leo and Sakura. But anyway. I can name a whole bunch of them awakening. My OTP was Corin and Jacob. Not not bad, not a bad matchup. Although I, I just don't have a D, I don't really have a favorite for Corin like I do with uh, Robin. And then the, and then apparently like they they play up Azura as sort of being the uh, the equivalent of Robin and Crom, but it's nowhere near. I don't know. Did the chemistry is just not there? And then when you find out they're cousins, okay, yeah, forget it. That makes it kind of weird. Yeah. <laughs> How very Game of Thrones. Totally. I mean, to be fair, this game really, at least in Japan especially, plays up the pseudo the pseudo sibling incest. I recall, like, I think it was the, uh, uh, it, I think it's the Famitsu, Famitsu, Famitsu review where, like, what, like they write how, like, you can skin ship with your sister, talking about Sakura, 
they're not blood related, but why bring that up? Why are you trying to pander to that? Ugh. That particularly gross demographic, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> what were the other characters? I remember. I remember playing with. I remember Mozu. That was the this game's uh, uh, villager who you can turn into a monster by the end. Yes. Yeah, she's just uh, your average country girl. Uh, for the others, we, we mentioned Jacob, Felicia, and passing. Uh, there's Silas, the, uh, pal- the 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 cavalier who is a childhood friend of Corin, although Corin forgets about them. At yeah, first. which doesn't speak much of. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Another one of those convenient things you just have to go with. Yeah, sure. Yeah. You forget your childhood friend. Uh, all right, yeah. whatever. He was actually the first one I paired up uh, my female Corin with. Not a bad relationship, but again, didn't really light me on fire. <laughs> I think that's who I've pe- paired up female Corin with. It's been a long time, but I think so. Yeah, we also have uh, Kaze the ninja. Uh, he forms a sort of a duo with his brother Saizo because they're sort of this game's equivalent of Cain and Abel from past games, except instead of paladins, they're ninjas because mm-hmm. why not? Ninjas are cool. <laughs> and Kaze, like he's just he's a, he's a nice guy. He seems to be popular with the girls, but he kind of doesn't like the attention. And I don't like it's weird. I don't remember that a, a lot about his personality, but just remember thinking I like this guy a lot. So, which of the two princes did you prefer, uh, Ryoma or Xander? Oh, Xander. Uh, more of a personality. I liked Ryoma, but then again, I only played Birthright. <laughs> like, in general, I pretty much prefer all of the, the Norse siblings to their Hoshiden counterparts, although, again, Leo times soccer is really cute. Yeah, Cam- Camilla was a touch too clingy for oh, my taste. Yeah, she's, she's like... N- I don't know if it's possible. Like, she's like the Queen Miz fan service yeesh. And she's yeah. way too uh, way too attached to Corin, regardless of their gender. Yeah. And yeah, kind of creepy. Kind of. <laughs> what other standouts were there? Do you remember anyone else that's coming to mind? I'm trying to remember. Yes. It's been. Oh, no. I re- I re- okay. So the ones I remember, you have the two shapeshifters. Because, uh, again, following up on Awakening and uh, the radio and the past, you know, the uh, Telegus games before, then they have two uh, animal shapeshifters. They're not related to the Lagus or the Togwul, but uh, you have Kaden, the, uh, the Kitsune, which is just yeah. that a Japanese fox spirit. And you had. Um, and you had Keaton, the wolfskin, which is, you'd think he would turn into a giant wolf, like the wolf lagoos, but instead he turns into a massive, like, yeti wolf hybrid. Like, I don't, okay, you're just trying to be different. That's weird. Meanwhile, you know, Caden uh, is what you expect from a giant shapeshifting fox. And I love him. Oh, yeah, he's, he's really, he's really cool. He's, uh, he's, he's very playful, very funny. Uh, he's kind of vain, but that's just makes him kind of, but that makes him kind of cool. That it makes him kind of funny. He's all like, like, beautiful, just like me, or I'm handsome and strong. And he goes on like, oh, my fur is so pretty. And Keaton acts a lot like a dog. He likes things, he, he likes like he likes to dig up things, bury them, likes things that smell odd. But he's kind of funny, too. Uh, okay, we mentioned the uh, three um, awakening transports. Uh, you also had, let's, what, who else? Oh, oh, Arthur. How could I forget Arthur? I love Arthur. Yeah, he's a he's a berserker. He talks like a like a like a sort of a parody of a superhero from a, like a a fifty a fifties comics. You know, stay safe, citizen. And he also has really bad luck. I always thought he almost looked like slightly out of like the art style was slightly tweaked on him, where he didn't look quite like he fit with the rest of the cast. Yeah, I felt that way too about how he was. 
Oh, I'm little, I guess, but I, I just find it really, I've just found him really funny. <laughs> the, then again, in a world with uh, Gordon from Disgaea 2, I can kind of buy that character trope in an anime game now. <laughs> you know, he's like a medieval version of that. Yeah. And uh, let's see, here you had also, okay, so Effie was a knight. Um, she's for, She's really big on working out and eating a lot of protein. I don't know. Uh, you had Niles, who is a total Fujoshi bait. Um, he's a pretty boy with a bat with a, a dark and troubled past, and also and also bisexual. He's the only male character male Corin can marry. Uh, let's see here. You have there's I'm still going to conquest here. You have Nyx, who is uh, a dark mage who casted some kind of strange spell on her that stopped her body from growing. So if you needed more lolly bait, there you go. Always got to have one of those, apparently. <laughs> Always. I mean, well, you got to have something for that waifu game. I mean, you've got, and you've already got a lease here, but anyway, who's apparently an adult despite her appearance and behavior, but whatever. Yeah. <laughs> okay, you had Charlotte, who's I possibly the only female fight, possibly the only female fighter in Fire Emblem thus far. Uh, I can't remember much. I, I I do remember her supports with Caden, how she was trying to like uh, get money off of him, but when she found out that he was selling his fur, she like was freaked out about that and made him stop. Um, let me think here. You had Benny, a, another night guy who's just like a gentle giant. He wanted to be nice, but people were scared of him because he looked scary. Uh, you had the silent Ber- Beruka, who was a wyvern rider. A wyvern, uh, yeah, wyvern rider. Mm-hmm. They call them this game. They sometimes they interchange and call them dragons instead of wyverns. Yeah, same thing. Yeah, yeah, same difference. And on the uh, Hoshido path, I guess the Setsuna was kind of funny with her, the, the way she, the, the drawing way she talked. Uh, very good archer despite that. Uh, you had Oboro, who was really big on fashion and has an obvious crush on Takumi. I remember Oboro. She stuck yeah. out. Yeah. Oh yeah. Also, she uh, th- like a running joke with her is that she her, her her looks could kill. Like she had this glare that could you know melt ice mm-hmm. or free or refreeze it, whichever way you want. It was just not pretty. You had the and of course you had the talk the, the token Shota Hayato who was a a wind mage who looked much younger than he apparently actually is. Uh, you had uh, Orochi. I liked. Uh, she's a very powerful mage. And uh, just, I don't know, I, t- weird. I, I, I kind of like her personality, but I don't remember much about it other than being her being kind of sassy. Mm-hmm. Uh, Hana is a samurai, because in the place of Mimerdins, unsurprisingly, you have samurais, so they still um, class change into uh, sword masters. Yeah, I remember uh, using Hana a lot and liking oh, her. Yeah, she's really good. Like, I tried to use the, uh, I tried to use the male counterpart, not her counterpart, but Hinata, who's another sword, like another uh, samurai, and he didn't quite measure up. Yeah. He also had a male uh, Pegasus rider, Pegasus Knight. His name is Subaki. I think they call him Sky Knights in this game, actually. But they still class change in uh, Falcon Knights. And it, it, it was about halfway through the game before I realized that was a dude. <laughs> I thought they made it pretty obvious. And I think if you do have him support with Severa in Revelation, they point out that uh, that that in this that at least in this nation in this world, but of course they don't know that Severa's from another universe that male and men can ride pegasus the pegasi they're not as picky as the ones from arcania which only allow women to ride on them and uh but i guess i'll, I'll go to that we get to the second generation just it's something kind of funny happens if you marry subaki to severa severa selena i keep calling her severa uh let's see here rinka the uh 
the Oni you meet later on, uh, early on, but I mean, uh, she's of the fire tribe and she has a fiery personality, ho-ho, but otherwise nothing really stands out about her. Uh, you have Azuma, the squinty-eyed monk, who just loves to troll people. Uh, Daryl likes like, to, to pick on him, make fun of him. Uh, you have Kagero, a ninja whose personality I can't remember really at all. Uh, then you have some Reina, who is a Kinshin knight. This is a, a class unique to uh, to these games, especially Birthright and Revelation. A Kinshin knight rides a giant bird that kind of looks like a peacock, and they use both uh, sphere-type weapons and bows. And it's the first time in the series has had a flying uh, as a, a flying bow unit, which I think is pretty cool. But you're tempted to use them to take out other flyers, but you always got to watch out for those darn arrows. <laughs> and then of I guess there's Scarlet, who has a part of the story because she's, uh, I think she's a noble of Chev, but I don't remember much about her personality, except she may have had a crush on Ryoma. Oh, Perry, going back to Conquest. She's um, crazy, very crazy. Has hair like cotton candy and and full of bloodlust, because of course. And there's also some minor characters that play bit parts. Uh, You have Flora, who is sister to uh, Felicia, uh, she's a she's another maid. I don't know much about her personality, and she can only support with Corin and Felicia. I think mm-hmm. uh, you have Yuki Mura, who is a mechanist, which is one of the unique classes in this game. Uh, he's like an advisor to the royal family. I don't remember much about him at all. You had Izana of Izumo. He's kind of uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, flamboyant. So that makes him kind of funny. But I think he dies in conquest because he's. <laughs> He died like no, not, he, he died, no, he doesn't die in conquest. He dies in revelation because you can recruit him in both birthright and conquest. But in revelation, he dies because trying to like see into the future kills him, and he's still funny there because he's just like, well, yeah, I'm dying. I'm gonna come back and become a ghost and haunt you. Boo. <laughs> uh, you have the leader of the Wind Tribe, Fuga, whose personality I don't remember at all, and I think that's all the second, the first generation. <laughs> I think so. Yeah. Oh no, I forgot about Shura. He's a an he's a thief slash adventurer, and I don't remember his personality much at all. Okay, so second generation. So this game, you can once again pair up your characters, get them married, and they have children. There, I was what I was kind of I was wondering slash kind of worried if this game was gonna do that. These games was gonna do that. If they're gonna bring back a second generation because remember people speculating. Will they have a second generation? How are they gonna explain it? Is there gonna be more time travel? And my thought was, well, maybe they'll just. Uh, maybe they'll just do what uh, the uh, what Genealogy of the Holy War did and have like some kind of time skip if they were to do it. No such luck. They come up with one of the dumbest reasons to oh, do God. it. <laughs> and we kind of spilt a bunch of ink over how dumb we thought it was, didn't we? Yes. So, okay. So let me explain here. So they get married. Apparently they instantly have a child. And when that child is, you know, that, that child, like, presumably, I, I, like, okay, so the, like, you get this little graphic that pops up saying that, you know, their relationship bears fruit, but they could not have these children in this war-torn world, so they hide them in these little pocket dimensions in the astral plane called the Deep Realms. But in these Deep Realms, time passes differently. So, you know, they, they grow quickly, even though they're checking up on them every, I don't know how often, they never say how often in the real world they're checking up on them. But by the time you get to recruit them, they're all older teenagers, uh, except for Kana, who has got to be like 12 or younger. Yeesh, they're young. But uh, so, but then they go recruit them and it's just, 
but so it's just so many leaps of logic that I just I cannot suspend my disbelief for that. I know it sounds it's just sort of sounds goofy because Awakening has oh those second generation are not actually their children they're actually uh but bi- they're biologically related but they're actually from another di- like a, a parallel universe set in the future. You know that does kind of sound ridiculous, but for some reason just the thought of two people getting married instantly conceiving presumably having to go into the deep realms to have these kids because nine like years are not like nine months is not passing in this game there's between chapters there's at least a few days maybe a few weeks but certainly not nine months passing between chapters that could hypothetically these kids could be born so then i I, I got you covered and one word Uh magic there you go there's your explanation it's so I guess, stupid. Well, the parallel dimensions thing made a lot more sense because Awakening was kind of steeped in time travel and established that from the beginning with Marth. This just sounded like, oh, we need an excuse to have kids. Yes, well, exactly. Yeah. They, they, they shoehorned it in because it was popular in Awakening. That's all. And it was so stupid. And I, it's, I, I, like, I'm sure these characters would be fine if they were introduced as regular characters. Although there's already too many characters in these games. It's hard for me to form an attachment with so many of them. <laughs> but just, I can't like it just because there's no reason for them to exist. And to make it even better, three of them are purposely modeled after three of the most popular characters in Awakening. Asugi, who resembles Gaius. Kayla Dory, who resembles, um, darn it, come on. Uh, sh- how could I forget this? It's, um, I- I'm remembering her Japanese name is Tiamo. Uh, come on, come on, come on. Kayla Dory. Cordelia, jeez. And Rajat, who is like Tharja. They're all voiced by their, like the voice actors of the older characters. And they all have very similar personalities. And their names are freaking anagrams of their old names. So it's just like, not only are we going to shoehorn in a popular idea, we're just going to shoehorn in these three lookalikes just because they were popular. And probably the only reason Krom didn't have a lookalike is because he's the main lord. And, you know, they shafted him already in, uh, in Smash Brothers. Why not shaft him in this game? At least he gets to show up at Tokyo Mirage Sessions. I think the thing that got me about this is like these characters supposedly keep having kids and then they see, you know, eventually part of the thing is like they can't stay in those alternate realms because demons start attacking them. And I'm like, after the first kid pair has a kid and sends them in this realm and it <laughs> turns out they're not safe, why does it the second pair not realize that, oh, maybe it's not any safer in this other realm? I mean, we already have a, a contrivance, so presumably all of the couples are somehow doing this at the same time, somehow, and uh. even though they get married at different times, maybe? I mean, or, okay, what was else was I, okay, so here's the thing, an awakening, nobody is conceiving right there on the road. The only one who has a child is Krom and whoever he marries, and that's because they do it in the time skip. So did did Elise event birth control and the world of face did not yet? <laughs> That's the only explanation, apparently. Okay, so I guess I can go into them a little bit because I, I recruited all of them in separate games. So Kana is the child is the like the, the child of the Avatar, although the Avatar can have two children. Uh, they are again. There's a male or female, the opposite of whichever the core and you have is. They are really cute, kind of naive, and they can also turn into a dragon, but uh, yeah, there's not much to say there. You have Shigure, who is the child of Azura. Just like Azura, his hair is always blue, regardless of who she marries. So he's sort of kind of the Lucina of this game, but nowhere near that story important. In fact, the story pretends none of these people exist. Like, at least in Awakening, Lucina is acknowledged and she in the main story, and she says that there are others that have followed her. But the game completely ignores these children exist, and it's probably for the freaking better. 
so you can just kind of retcon them in your mind. Uh, anyway, Shigure is um, kind of the strong, silent type, but likes to sing just like his mother. Uh, you have Dwyer, who is this, uh, he, this gloomy-looking butler, who is the child of Jacob. Jacob. Yes, so you see here, all the children in Awakening were linked to their mothers. The children in Fates are linked to their fathers, except, of course, for Azura, which, again, is like a parallel to Krom. You have the knight Sophie, who is the child of Silas. Uh, she is happy-go-lucky and brings her horse everywhere. She even brings it into, uh, like, the Avatar's uh, little, like, like room, which is just kind of weird. Like, why did you bring your horse in here? You don't actually see the horse, but she mentions bring him in there. Uh, you have Midori, the child of Kaze, who is a merchant. I don't know much about her personality. Shiro is the child of Ryoma. Um, he's kind of gung-ho, but yeah, he's per- I don't remember his personality. You have Kiragi, who is the child of, uh, sup- of... Come on, what in the world is wrong? Takumi. Takumi. Yeah, he likes to hunt. I, I-, I don't know much about his personality. Asugi, again, it brought him up. He's the Gaius parallel. Pretty much exactly like him, except he's a ninja. Mitama, who is the child of Azuma. And she's actually kind of funny. She is big on poetry, recites uh, haikus, and I, I don't know how well they're written because I don't. I'm not big on poetry myself, but it's kind of funny how well she rhymes. And then when she gets angry, you see her snap her pen in half. Uh, you have Hisame, who is the child of Hinata. Uh, he's a samurai, just like him, and uh, he's very severe. Doesn't get along with his father that well. And he apparently likes pickles a lot, but I haven't come into any, like, supports where this happens, so it it seems kind of overblown. Again, Kalidori, Rajat, and Selkie, who is the child... Oh, Kalidori is the child of, um, by the way, of Subaki, and Rajat is the child, curiously, of Hayato. And then you have Selkie, who is the child of Kaden. She is also a kitsune. She's very playful, has a kind of squeaky voice. Over on the Conquest side, you have Siegbert, who is the child of Xander. Um, I, I don't know, I his personality. You have Forrest, who is the child of Leo. He looks a lot like a girl. It has a very effeminate voice. You have Soleil, who is the child of Laszlo, who again is Inigo. And this is really, really made me wish that Lucina was in this game as something other than a, uh, an amiibo. Because I absolutely love Lucina at times, like Lucina and Ego as a couple, just adore them. But anyway, um, you have Ophelia, who is the child of Odin, who again is Owain. She is big into theatrics, just like her father, and is also a mage. You have Nina, who is the child of Niles. I don't remember about her personality. You have Percy, who is the child of Arthur and dressed up like a pilot. He rides, a, he rides a wyvern, so I guess that makes some sense. But again, he's got that weird sort of, does he really fit in this game? He kind of looks out of place. And you have Ignatius, who is the child of Benny and also has that severe kind of look to him, but he's also a gentle giant of sorts. And you have Valoria, who is the child of Keaton. And I don't know much about her personality. <laughs> and that's all of them other than like uh, Anna, who's DLC and some Amiibo characters that show up. It's a lot of characters. Yeah. 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 It's just very a few. Fun. Yeah. It's, I mean, I, that's probably, what, and that's another big failing of this game. There's just, it's a lot of them and it's hard to form an attachment. Like I do remember liking a bunch of them when I play them, but they, like, I, it's hard to really remember why I like them. Like I can't remember <laughs> their personalities much. I, 
Can't remember much of the supports. Meanwhile, I can tell you all about the characters in Awakening and all about the characters in Shadows of Valencia. I, I can even go back to, I guess, go back to the Radiance games, at least Path of Radiance. Radiant Dawn had a ton of characters too and kind of the same problem there. Yeah. I mean, I've I've got all the Amiibos and I was like, I'm not even going to bother trying <laughs> to get all these because I've already got more than enough. And I mean, that might be more of an issue if you're playing classic mode where there's permadeath, but it's like, nah, I've got enough characters to deal with without having oh, yeah. these extra ones too. Well, yeah, especially if you're playing Conquest, because then you have to limit your, your team to so your so-called team because there's only so much EXP to go around unless you want to shell out money for the EXP DLC, which by the way is a lot a lot harder than it, you'd think it would be. It's it's surprisingly difficult to take out enough enemies because they can they will really kill you even on the even on the easiest difficulty. Mm-hmm. So it's that's not even a good way to level up all that well. Uh, but yeah, regardless, it's but yeah, there's just a lot of them. Yeah, I think I barely used the second generation just because I I never even by the time I got them, I didn't really need any of them. Yeah, like my first playthrough through like it's my only playthrough. My, when I initially played Conquest, I think I only recruited Kana uh, during the course of the story. Kana. Uh, Sophie, because she was Corrin's child, since she married, I had her marry Silas, and I think I might have gotten Selkie just because I like I like Kitsune. Yeah, Kana's the only one I remember the I, I actually remember doing any oh, of the story of it. Yeah, Shigure. I also had Shigure. Yeah. But um, everybody else, I kind of left until I was done with the game, just because mm-hmm. they really they're they're non-entities as far as the story is concerned. Yeah. I, I did I made a bunch of the kids, but I ended up only using really Kana, Dwyer, and um, Selkie. I, I will admit I kind of had a soft spot for Dwyer just because um, his interactions with his dad was kind of hilarious. Yeah, that, those were funny. Du- Dwyer okay. was kind of a lazy little <laughs> jerk, and his dad is, is, wants to be the best butler there is, and the, the conflict between the two is kind of hilarious. Ah. Did I say I meant Valoria, not Selkie? I recorded Valoria because I was playing Conquest. Duh. <laughs> but see, it's just I, I can't. It's hard to get these these three games separated in my own mind. <laughs> Especially since there's so much overlap between the three. Oh yeah. Well, that brings us to the gameplay. How does this one differ from its previous iterations? Well, still previous a strategy RPG. I mean, it, all right, it, that was easy. Moving on. <laughs> It, it plays pretty much like a direct sequel to Awakening. They didn't right does anyway. Yeah, I mean, aside from some minor differences, like I know that there's no weapon durability anymore in this one. Yeah, I can't that's, think that's, of that's actually a callback to Gaiden, believe it or not. That didn't have weapon durability, so not the first time that had showed up. Probably won't be the last either. I mean, it felt like nothing had really changed almost to its detriment with the support system and uh, yeah. some of the other stuff in it. This one did introduce the Phoenix mode in case casual mode wasn't easy enough. That one was the one where it would revive after where dead people would revive even after the next turn. Yeah. So the only way to lose would be if everybody died on one turn <laughs> or foreign dies yeah, or foreign dies. Yeah. See, I actually thought about doing the Phoenix mode just to kind of get through the rest of the other two scenarios quickly without much without much issue, but I never got around to it. Yeah, admittingly, if I ever do get around to completing the supports for this game like I did for Awake these games as I did for Awakening, I'll probably use that just so I could blaze through the game and get all those supports. Mm-hmm. 
let's see, what else? Pair up mechanic came oh, back. Those yes. altered. Those, and, this, oh, go ahead. <laughs> yes, it's altered and in a pretty big way too. Well, for start, it's it's definitely far less broken than it was in Awakening. Uh, for starters, enemies can now use pair up, and there's actually two very distinct. Uh, they're very distinct, but Awakening kind of sort of had it too. Uh, in Awakening, you could either have the combine two characters to sort of act as one unit, but they would uh, follow up with each other, or you could have characters stand side by side, and they would attack wh with whoever was next to them. The same thing works in Fates, except uh, they work very differently depending whether they're paired up together as one unit or standing side by side. If they're paired up together, the back unit cannot attack cannot ever attack the enemy they're only there for defense so they power up your defenses your actual defense your evasion and such uh they'll power those up and uh depending on how many hits either the uh the, the first character makes or how many hits they take uh they might jump in and defend them against a first enemy attacking but they'll always defend if the enemy is paired up or if the enemy has a second enemy fighting with them actually no not when they're paired up because if they're paired up then they do the same thing you do but if the enemy is standing side by side with somebody else, so both of them attack, the second attack will always be blocked. Uh, but, of course, they can't do as much damage. If you have the characters standing side by side, they'll both attack and they'll boost each other's attack power. But, of course, the... Uh, it's uh but of course you're vulnerable to a second attack and you you can't have like two units paired up and one unit standing next to that paired up unit and get both at the same time it doesn't work that way you have to do one or the other and yeah, so it's very strategic as to how you want to do it if you see a paired up enemy unit which one do you think will be better to engage them it depends on the situation and it's uh, actually it's uh, again it's far more strategic and definitely let's do this to win the game yeah, it was balanced a little bit better than it was in Awakening. <laughs> yeah, much better. How Awakening, it was so OP. Mm -hmm. Here, it's just like, you actually have to make a decision. Which what, which way do you want to do it? And watch out, because the enemies can do it too. And then this one also had dragon veins. That was the other new thing they added in this one, which are like these squares on a map that can only be activated by members of the two different royal families. And um, like they did different things depending on the map. Most of them would like... Uh, modify like the physical uh, structure of the map so like I remember there was one map where um, you could hit a there was a big lake in the middle of the map and you could go and hit the dragon vein and it would freeze the lake over so you could just like bypass all of these enemy defensive placements on the on the lake but it kind of cut both ways because when you did that the enemy forces on the far side of the lake would also come and attack you so there was all most of the dragon veins that you used would kind of have like that dual part like you'd kind of have to think like okay do i want to do this and open up this new path but i might also be opening up a path for enemies to attack me as well so there was like a there were a lot of really neat maps that took advantage of that mm -hmm. Yeah, very nice change of pace there. Pretty neat too, like sort of like risk and reward type thing with the uh, the dragon veins as to what, especially or even when it just when to trigger them because you might want to trigger a specific point depending on the enemy placement or depending on the map. Mm -hmm. Like you may want to get all your forces in place to kind of take advantage and then you do it. Ah, mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, was there anything else with combat? I'm not thinking and, of. And um, let me, I should, okay, so we already mentioned pair up. We mentioned, uh, I guess, support system is pretty much the same. Uh, I guess, should we go into the classes, like the, the unique classes in this game a little bit, maybe? Yeah, sure. So I already remember mentioned that stuff. Yeah, I remember the Kinshin Knight, as I mentioned, is the, 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 the series' first uh, flying bow weapon. Uh, both get, both uh, 
Conquest and Revelation had their own types of mages. On the birthright side, you had the Diviner, who classed into the Almyoji, which are mages with an Asian flair, plus their special weapons are scrolls. And rather than like launching fireballs or whatever, they, ha- they summon animal spirits to attack. And these have different effects depending on how powerful it is. Oh, a lot of weapons in this game are also very different. Uh, they have a, like the, the stronger weapon is, the more setbacks it has. So you have to decide, like, instead of just upgrading instantly to the silver sword as soon as you get are able to hold them, uh, you have to, like, decide. Like, the silver, like, the silver weapons are extremely powerful, but they will uh, reduce the character's stats for a turn. So it's like, do you want to use this weapon to do a lot of damage, or are you, like, are, are surrounded by enemies and you're afraid some of them might attack you and you don't want to use the sword because then you'll lower your defenses and take more damage? Uh, but I'm getting, okay, I guess back to classes. Uh, let's see here. What else is unique? Oh, you had the uh, the ninjas are sort of like thieves, uh, but they can, they but their special weapons and special abilities, uh, with, they, they use shuriken, although the shuriken also counts the knives that the maids and the butlers use. Mm-hmm. They don't do a lot of damage, but they're usually fast, and they can also reduce stats, which is extremely useful for your weaker uh, units. Um, you had here, what else was, oh, you had the, uh, kind, what kind of, what kind of unit was that called again? It was the Magic, uh, Wyvern Knights. I can't remember the oh, exact geez. name. Oh, jeez. Uh, but yeah, Camilla is like Camilla. the main one. Malignite, Malignite. Yes, that's it, Malignite. So it's like, again, the first magic using Wyvern writing class, which is pretty neat. So she can use magic and she can use axes and you can recruit a few, you can, you can promote a few others, Baruch. Baruka, who is the um, who is I think one of Camilla's retainers, who is the uh, silent wyvern writer, and Percy, Arthur's son. There are probably some others that I'm forgetting right now that you could promote. Um, what else was unique? I, I get no, not the uh, not the mage. Oh, and the uh, the the um, the ninja could promote to either the master ninja, which is exactly what it sounds like, a stronger ninja, or the mechanist, which is very interesting. They ride. A, like they, they ride what looks like a like a uh, a, a clockwork dog of some sort, and they control it like a puppet. And they can use bows or shurikens. They can also summon these these auto these uh, like automatic units, which kind of look like the which look like puppets that can attack with arrows. I think they act independently, though. I'd have to double check that. Um, what else was unique? Was there anything else that was? Everything else just had like either a European flair or an, or an a Japanese flair to it, I guess. Um, yeah, that's all I've got. <laughs> that's all I can think of. So what about different mechanics like my castle? Oh, boy. Oh, boy. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's it, it was like this odd little idea to kind of add, what would you almost call it? It's like it's adding some multiplayer fighting mechanics, but also making it sort of, uh, animal crossing town so building ish sort yeah town building ish where you could kind of design and decorate your own castle and then show it off to uh, both your friends and random people on the internet yeah you can and, upgrade it too as you get more things to play with yep and you could visit other people's like you could use that sometimes as a way to like kind of cheat ahead and uh, buy good items and weapons by visiting other people's castles. Yes. It's a, yeah, it's a good way to like visit somebody else's castle who has the other, the, like the other versions that you don't have. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, like for the, okay. There's two different types of like restorative rods. You have uh, staves, which, which heal a lot, but they can only, 
but they can only heal from one square away. And they have the rods, which are less powerful, but heal from two squares, some of them even longer away. And if you and sometimes you'll also you'll want both of them because sometimes you want to heal a lot and be close by or you want that your healing unit to be a little distance away. So you'll have to if you want to get the other one, you're good. I think you get one, maybe two as part of the story. But if you want to get more, you're going to have to visit somebody else's castle. Yeah. So, oh, go ahead. No, uh, I just got really obsessed with putting a whole bunch of statues in my garden because I think you unlock statues of yes. every single character in the game. And they uh, give you bonuses in battle. Yes, yes, yep. I did that too. So there's also had a, an arena, which could be updated. You might remember the arena from the earlier Fire Emblem games, especially anything before the, uh, the Tellius games. But rather than leveling up there, you use this to increase the amount of, of what are they called? Like the, the, these various goods that you find, like the different gemstones, the different foodstuffs. Yeah, and you can use them to buy stuff with. Yeah, yes. I remember that. Yeah, yeah. Traits of, you could use it to uh, forge weapons because you can make weapons stronger by using different mater- these different materials. You could make different foods in the cafeteria using a character, and that would usually boost stats. Though sometimes the character would mess it up, and then they don't get a boost at all, or I think even make them feel sick. <laughs> So it's kind of a risk reward there. Actually, I distinctly remember Felicia like saying, "You like, you, like, uh, like uh, you had one job because she messed up on cooking something." Oh god! <laughs> like, oh geez. It, at least it's a clever use of that uh, meme. Meme, yeah, yeah, a decent <laughs> use of the meme for once. Yeah, for once, yeah. Like ten years later, that's not going to look out of place. At least not that out of place. But anyway, um. And of course, you had the the actual like the whole like the the room of the avatar. Oh, oh dear! And this is where you get into a whole world of ridiculous controversy that surrounded the game before and after its release. You mean the stuff that they censored? Yes, the stuff Ugh. they censored. They called it skin shipping in Japan, and you could touch a character on their face. You couldn't go all that lower, though. I heard people trying to spread rumors that you could go lower. I think because uh, people are jerks. And if they liked it, you would get a little a voiced quip from them. Uh, this was removed from the um, from the English localization, and this raised a stink. Granted, you still got the boosts in like the support amount. You still got the voiced quips, which sometimes revealed a little something about the character's personality. Not a lot though, and it was really cute if you were married to the character, like the av- like Corin, the avatar was married to the character. But you didn't have to do any of that. Like you got all the rewards and didn't have to do the rubbing part. But you know that was censorship, even though. Bleh. But anyway, let's not get into that. Like, this was... game was surrounded with care. This, this, these games were surrounded with controversy. Not as bad as Tokyo Mirage Session, but yeesh. <laughs> no, I mean I am not a fan of having to rub on my DS to do stuff because I am I am rather protective of my screen and I you know break or I go through a lot of screen protectors anyway because I love playing Picross. So. I, for one, was happy that they removed that because, you know, between the dream drop distances and oh, what other game did you have to rub stuff to level things up? Oh, P- Pokemon, uh, P- Pokemon um, X and Y. That was a and thing. And Sun and Moon. Yeah. And so, Sun and Moon. Yeah. Yeah. Let's just say the pervy uh, rubbing game should just be left on where they belong on the Vita. <laughs> But but yeah, so it's just and it's just one of the ways that this it's just one of the ways that this game was like trying too hard to pander to that audience. Well, why also, did you have to bring up Valhalla Knights Three? Maybe that's why Apps didn't join in because he knew this would come up. It would. 
he, he's psychic thinking... in some capacity. He predicted the future <laughs> and didn't want to revisit Valhalla Nights 3 in any capacity. <laughs> but yeah, so but but yeah, that's just so you've got the, the rubbing mini game that they put out. You have the, the characters that are sort of like, like applying like the different sort of uh, like appeal to different otaku groups. You have, of course, the pseudo incest and the sort and the implied incest. If you want to go Corin times as male Corin times Azura. And just uh, why? Why? It just the, the games were popular. I mean, I'm so glad they went down the the Shadows of Valentio route. Did, but I was really worried of the series when all this came out. <laughs> you don't have to appeal to a taco crowd. Come on. But yeah, anyway, but... my castle. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So we gotta get this wrapped up here soon. So any final thoughts on my castle? <sighs> Not on my Play. castle. Play a better sim game if you have to build something. Yeah, it's kind of fun, but it could have been next from this game, and I probably would have been a lot happier. Sounds like there's a few things they could have nixed from this game, like you know, half the cast. Or oh, like... I mean, they they had really good ideas with this game, and I can see where they were trying to make Awakening, but bigger and better. But you know, in in the end, it was like they were they were shooting for the stars and didn't really hit, hit anything. Yeah, a major problem is that they were trying to pander to every gr- conceivable group of Fire Emblem fans. They tried to appeal to the old fans with Conquest. They tried to appeal to the newer fans with uh, Birthright. They tried to appeal to the otaku crowd with the you know with with, with keeping marriages and keeping the children and the, the kind of the slightly creepy otaku ish things. Like, they were trying to make everybody happy, and while these games sold well, and I don't dislike them, I do kind of like them. It, Birthright, maybe, not so much. Well, I don't dislike it either, but it's just like, geez, that was dull. But it's just like, I would love to have seen Conquest or Revelation taken and expanded upon and improved greatly in terms of story and characters by keeping mm-hmm. the same gameplay. I would love to have seen that, but instead they tried to make everybody happy, and, well, at least it sold well. Yeah, it... it... Yeah, they ended up with kind of a mess by trying to, you know, please everybody. They ended up not quite pl- pleasing anybody. <laughs> I mean, I, I, people do like these. People do yeah. like these games, but it's just like uh, there's a lot of complaints, and I'm not the only one who thinks no. the second generation was completely pointless and stupid. No, no I'm, I agree <laughs> with you on that. I'm with you. I'm not uh, the only one. No, uh, I mean, I, I, I got done playing Birthright, and it's like, I don't feel the same as I felt when I played Awakening. Is Am I wrong? Is there something wrong with me? And I'm glad, I'm glad to know me. that I wasn't the only one that kind of mm. felt like I should have loved this game, and instead I'm just kind of mad on it. Yeah, yeah. like, I, I do, I, I love the gameplay. I, I love Conquest, the, the Conquest gameplay, and Revelations to a lesser extent. Just, just love those maps, but I was so glad that Shadows of Valentia didn't take too much from those games. Yeah, it's not like I hate, it's not that I hate Fates, but it's, you know, it's low on the list of favorite Fire Emblem games. Now, even yeah. a bad Fire Emblem game for me is still better than, you know, a, your average strategy RPG, but it's just kind of down on the list a bit of the Fire Emblem games. I wouldn't even call it bad. I, I, no, well, no, it's no. Definitely, yeah, that... It's definitely better than Shadow Dragon. Um, yeah. I'd argue it's better than, I, I don't know, me. I'd have to, like, play, I had to, like, replay Sacred Sco- Sto- Scones. <laughs> Sacred Scones. <laughs> Sacred Scones. I'd have to replay that, because I remember liking it more. Are you to your usual breakfast material? <laughs> I, I, don't, I don't eat scones very often, but anyway. 
So, like, I remember liking that a lot more than uh, the, like, uh, Rekka no Ken, the, uh, the first Fire Emblem game that we got in America, the one mm-hmm. with Ellawood. I remember liking that more, but I, I'm very certain I, I like Fates more than that one. I don't know about Sacred Stones and everything. And actually, I definitely I like- prefer, well, judging solely by Conquest, I prefer it to Thracia 776. But like there that. are people out there who like to slam their head against the wall repeatedly, and Thracia 776 is great for that. So actually, go for it, everybody. And, uh, as for. Uh, Radiant Dawn, Radiant Dawn had a better story for sure, but it kind of suffers from a similar bloat of like stuff to do in characters. Although it had a better story, I think. <laughs> Radiant Dawn also fell into the too ambitious for its own good kind of yeah, trap. Yeah. So, so we we we've heard some good, we've heard some bad. Well, the, story, the, the music, coach... the music, sorry, the, the music is fantastic, by the way. The uh, the co- yeah. The question is. Would you would you buy it? Would you recommend it? Yeah, you can't are find you a... getting the special edition now, which is only by the way. I found a fresh, hot new copy for just a hair under two hundred dollars, which is what our listeners deserve. I would you know, say they want brand new. If you cannot find a copy of Awakening and you're in the bargain bin at GameStop and you see a copy of this. You know, g- give it a try. It's you probably can't... not in the bargain bin. It's a Nintendo no. game. <laughs> no, that's true. But I mean, you're not gonna you're not gonna be too disappointed. You're not. You're certainly not gonna play a turd. But if you can, if if you have to choose between this or Awakening, definitely pick Awakening or Shadows of Valentia. Yeah, I mean, this game's uh, by itself, just the birthright or conquest or whatever, is still going for near retail price. You know, even used, you're not saving much on it. Oh, I, I think I should say one thing because I had one friend who, uh, when he played Awakening, was like freaked out that the uh, characters didn't have feet, that they had hooves. Uh, so if anyone was freaked out by the hooves in Awakening, they actually have feet this time. Yes, in they do. Can we please get off the subject? <laughs> we've been it's down this road a before. Big deal for some people. It was. Yeah, we've been down this road before. Um, so, so what about you, Mr. Marpenter? What's your recommendation? Uh, yeah, I mean, I think it's to... I, I think it's totally worth playing. Um, the The trick is just trying to figure out where to jump in. You know, if you're experienced with strategy RPGs, just go with Conquest. Or if you play more Fire Emblem games, go with Conquest. Um, if you're newer to it, probably Birthright might be the better way to get in. But, like, I, I personally think I'd probably just pick one of the two and then maybe go on to Revelation. Because it's a lot of Fire Emblem to try and play all three. Uh, who hasn't had a chance? Did, did Miss Ramos share her opinion? Not really. Uh, All right. So okay. In my case, I would probably, I, I would definitely, I would recommend. I, I kind of want to recommend Conquest to play first, even if you're not that experienced. You can always try. Uh, you, you could always turn off permadeath using casual. Um, it's just much more interesting mechanic-wise. I would argue a better story, even if it's kind of, even if the story is kind of a mess. But at least it's not as boring as Birthright. Um. And maybe go on to Revelation under that, and maybe after a few months later, check out Birthright if you're interested. Because I, although I enjoyed and played through Revelation quickly, Birthright was such a slog. Uh, but yeah, uh, if you, but I would still, I would look at Awakening, Shadows of Valentia, or heck, if you could somehow find the Talius games for good, play those first. Good luck finding those cheap. Oh yeah, you won't, Mister Minky. I'm pretty much with Cassandra on the ben- on the merits of Conquest. I remember enjoying it. Um, the cast was enjoyable enough. I didn't go too deep into the ridiculous level of recruiting the children that you can do. 
I remember some interesting battles too. There's one involving taking tunnels around to get to different parts of a building, and the oh, final yeah. the final fight is freaking ridiculous. And if yes, I I played it on casual because I've played plenty of earlier Fire Emblem games. I have no need to subject myself to endless profanity again. I just remember thinking this has got to be freaking insane on a higher difficulty. The enemies just keep coming back and they're ridiculously strong and they block your path so you have to kill them again and there are environmental hazards all over the place. It was just a death trap. And you had to hide behind some of that debris too in Takumi. Uh, like it was about to power up and then unleashed a super powerful like bow attack. Like I remember like frantically trying yes. to get my characters behind things. Of all things that reminded me of a couple of Shining Force battles. Hey, that's fresh on my mind right now. Yeah. Okay, a chat. Anything else, Mike? So, based on conquest, you get a, you get a very impressive variety of battles to go through. The characters are enjoyable. Like everybody has said, the sound is excellent. The music is extremely worth hearing. Not having played Birthright, I can only go by the assertions of everybody here that it is slightly preferable to staring at an empty dishwasher for several hours and waiting to see if the dishes magically jump in there of their own accord and start to clean themselves. Having said that, it's still probably preferable to any given Idea Factory title, but (laughs) that's not setting the bar very high. And Revelation, I don't even know, because I haven't played it, and at this point I am unlikely to in any recent time frame, but Conquest. Conquest I had a good time with. Oh, we didn't uh, bring up the, the the voice acting in this game, which it's still uh it's still like just voice clips and the, the full scenes have more voice acting and it's good overall, but there's so many characters that they're just trying to find actors wherever they can and uh, some of them are not very good. And you even have actors who are doing like two or even three characters. Uh Benjamin Diskun uh does the voices of Jacob, Saizo, and Hayato. And you've got others like Matt Mercer doing Ryoma and Shigure and probably some others I'm forgetting right now. And I mean, I'll echo pretty much what's already been said here from my impression of spending about 20, 30 hours uh, in Birthright, plus what I've heard so much of what you guys say, plus uh, Mike and I had a long conversation about this. Uh, I would certainly say, yeah, if you have not played any of the Fire Emblem games on the 3DS, you need to do, you owe it to yourself to do, um, uh, what was it, Fire Emblem? Awakening first. Yeah, you really, really need to go and enjoy that. Uh, but if you're looking for more, I would also, I would recommend going Conquest. Uh, 20, 30 hours in Birthright and I'm falling asleep. It just doesn't have the magic, the charm, and the pool. Uh, in fact, I, I feel a lot more pool just playing Fire Emblem Warriors on my Switch. I want to go back and do more of that. Yeah, and that story was... is super boring, but the so gameplay makes up for it. it. Oh my gosh. It was incredibly hard because Fire Emblem Warriors is more fresh on my mind right now and it's like oh well, i like this character well wait that's because they were better written and warriors than wow they were and, and yeah and the thing about you know the funny thing about warriors is they're introducing all these characters from both of these titles it's like i get super excited when i see a fire emblem awakening character because i remember them they were exciting they were unique they're memorable and then you get a birthright character and it's like eh, eh, yeah yeah I, I think i remember he looked like that but yeah so there were um, ninjas i remember that they actually had the useful ability of temporarily reducing an enemy stats that was pretty helpful oh yeah. it's like in 
just yeah. like in Fate. But with that said, the the conquest the conquest game characters are I definitely have an edge over it over them. And if Mike Mister Apps could have made his night, he would have gone on and on and on about that fact. Uh, it's just a more compelling experience in his opinion. He's pretty much convinced me. So at one point, I hope to sit down and be able to give a shot for myself, so I can compare and contrast. The Wouldn't two. he also have gone on and on about the terrible idea that was having a second generation at all in this game? Well, we've already yeah. we've already gone on that. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, so yeah, yeah. The definitely the, the the in the birthright, the kids, uh, the kids I had were like y'all said, just completely ignorable. Put them on the back burner, uh, especially if you don't spend all day with the game, just grinding up just to keep the levels up. It's easier just to focus on a handful. I, I forgot. We forgot to. I forgot to mention this. The, uh, the when you recruit any the children from either one, they carry what's called an offspring seal. It instantly uh, class changes them at like their upgrade and they're like level eighteen, so you can use them right off the bat. Like that would have been nice in Awakening, and it's, it's sorry, I still don't want to really care about them too much because they're they're still pointless. Like yeah, I, I can use you immediately, but I still have no need to you because you're pointless. Yeah, and they're still XP sponges and stuff, so yeah, best just focus on a group. Anywho, uh, but there you go. So go out and check out. Uh, probably don't buy the collector's edition for two hundred dollars unless you're a true RPG backtrack fan. Uh, <laughs> you're probably not even gonna get it for two hundred dollars. You'll have to look a little higher. $200 is if you're willing to hunt. Yeah, the cool thing is you can buy Conquest, play through it, and if you want more, then go with our recommendation, go ahead. Can you buy Revelation after that, or do you have to buy Birthright to no, get Revelation? you can Revelation? buy Revelation right after Conquest. Buy, buy Revelation after Conquest, or and then if you're still dying for more, <laughs> go for Birthright. Go for Shadow of the Valencia, that's what I was saying. Go for Shadow of Valencia, there you go. Uh, uh, Shadows of Valencia has its own issues for me, mostly because of those stupid freaking witches in there. You can't predict them, but that's another cast entirely. Yes. Really? Like another what about those? Theory, what about right? those wonderful summoners that keep summon? Anyways, yes, we digress. Uh, so <laughs> we're going to take a break. And we're going to come back to wrap this up with the final lap. The final lap where we read your comments, do kitchen sink stuff, and the like. So our last episode was 188D to the Mighty Brinnies, and we talked for roughly three hours about a couple of Disgaea games. And uh, Budai was super excited to hear that it was three hours, uh, but mentioned that's probably impossible to top the original Disgaea show that we did, a five-hour filibuster, um, <laughs> which... Uh, 
which which was really fun to edit. I think my computer just couldn't even like it just would take so long to edit because the bigger it gets, the longer it gets, and it's not like a linear progression. It's more like a curve that goes up through the roof. So I remember that one just just taking hours just to to crunch down, uh, you know, and the such. So. Yay. I remember listening to that original Disgaea cast, and I'm not sure if I ever finished it all. <laughs> you may have had to take it in two samples. I, yeah, I finished it. I don't. I mainly don't remember much about it. Sorry. Uh, I think, yes, Phil, I seem to recall that one happened after we started recording. We got a whole lot done. Mm-hmm. Something happened. We blame and- Skype. <laughs> yes, it was all Skype's fault that we lost a whole lot of material. Yeah, and we recorded an extremely long final lap because we just lost all that material and didn't want to start it again. And then we recorded the entirety of the Disgaea discussion, discussion which um, three and a half hours or so, because we didn't have anything else to record that night. I think that's how it worked. Yeah, and was that the show where I? What was, was that one? Was that the early show that I almost quit because no, I no, felt so that's... guilty? That's the Castlevania one. Castlevania one, okay. I remember that very well. I felt so bad on that one because it was only like my third or fourth episode of, of being the the person who does that, and I just totally fupod somewhere and destroyed the file, lost the file. It was my fault completely, and I felt like I just wasted you know every staff member's time. I felt like I had to fire myself for incompetence. Well, I remember talking to everybody and. I don't know how thrilled everyone was about it, but we managed to do it again. We even managed to sound somewhat spontaneous while doing it all over again. Yeah, we actually, I was surprised at how everyone stepped up and made that sound like it was the first time they ever talked about <laughs> So that was awesome. Um, thankfully, uh, thankfully, uh, we don't really suffer those problems too often anymore. Um, but uh, I, it's always like my big fear of doing like a two-hour segment like we just did. And hitting a wrong button or saving over a file or something along those lines. Uh, yeah. Anywho. Hey, some, sometimes stuff happens. Uh, yeah. yeah. Poo-poo happens. Uh, but thank you for your comments, Vidai. Of course, y'all can leave your comments over at our brand new revamp site at rpgamer.com, where you can actually just put those comments right there directly on uh, the podcast page for each episode. Uh, oh, by the way, the other thing he mentioned, Mike, was about iTunes. Are, are, are we uh, are we able to get these shows up on iTunes with the new format and everything else? Probably. Yeah, we're working on it. We're working on it. Because with the new site, there's a lot of new security and there's a lot of new process and procedure. So some of us, uh, some of the podcasts, including the other one that uh, Mike and I were just talking about that today, uh, we haven't got those up on iTunes yet, so... Uh, anyways, but thank you for thank you for reminding us that we probably should get around to that at some point. Mike, what's our next show? Any ideas? You know, I was thinking it might be D- Dragon Quest Seven, but the re-release of that is not quite two years old yet. So, hmm, hmm. I've always wanted to try a big Falcom centric with just a whole bunch of random Falcom games. That, but I don't know if anybody else would join me for that. What else is Falcom? I mean, I know that they've done Trails and I'm, st- I'm thinking older stuff. Like, uh, how about Popful Mail? Ooh, that's before. I mean, that's a little. <laughs> that's or a little expensive for my Sega CD it. collection. I've heard or, of it. Or Guruman, or Guruman played, or Sorcerian, or Dragon Slayer, or Romancia. Oh, that's getting old. <laughs> Dragon Slayer. 
Yeah, I played it on Saturn. It was old even then. Yeah, that's a remake, the Saturn version of it. Yes, it is, with a whole lot of quality of life increases. <laughs> um, maybe we'll see if we can finally round up Dragon Age Inquisition and do a backtrack on that. It's been a while. Hmm. We'll figure out something. We'll figure out something. So, 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 just listen or keep an eye on the site or whatever. Um, let's do our let's do our round. Uh, well, yeah, a little to the round table. Round table. Let's do. Let's do. Let's do. Let's do. Rolling a dice here. I got Miss Mayan. Why yes? You want to know what I've been up to? Yeah. What you been? What you been doing? Well, non-video game wise, I have been participating in a weekly art challenge for the past three weeks now, where um, it's a part of my friend's Twitch, Twitch channel, and he has an Instagram um, called O's Art Challenge. The Instagram account is O's Art Challenge, and basically, he just kind of throws out a prompt every Friday. And your job is to draw something from that prompt. And like um, last week's or this week's that the prompt was alchemy. And, you know, that that's all it was, just alchemy. So you have to figure out something that meets with the theme alchemy. So I am drawing my Pandaren mage from Warcraft transmuting a gem. And last week, the theme was Cowboy Bebop, because we were celebrating the anime's 30th anniversary. So, you know, a lot of people were drawing Spike and Ed and all of that. And I wasn't really familiar with the anime, but I really like Corgis, so I drew Ein. And it's really kind of fun to see, you know, where pe- you know the, the prompt is big enough that you can kind of have a, a lot of fun with it and see where people go with the um, prompt. And I'm going to be really curious to see what kind of stuff people come up with for the alchemy prompt. This, or no, I'm sorry, this week. So it's a lot of fun. And my friend, you know, shows most of the submissions on his Twitch channel and uploads everything to the Instagram. And it's just kind of a fun thing to do. And it's got me drawing again, which I love. And yeah. And I wanted to put it out there because I didn't know if we had other artists in the community that um, enjoyed stuff like that. Um, as for video game related stuff, thanks to Sega every now and then deciding that they need money, I picked up the Sega Genesis for the uh, PS4. And um, playing through t- the two games that are the reason why I'm sitting here today, Shining Force 1 and 2, and I've been kind of sh- pasting screenshots to my Twitter and just kind of making my commentary on them. But my god, the rewind and fast forward feature in, those, in that collection just breaks Shining Force wide open. Sounds like it has Milla's turn wheel. That's right. That's actually, the, that's like the biggest draw of me buying that collection because I've already got like probably 80% of those games in various collections and the rest on emulation. <clears throat> but that rewind feature just looks so cool. Yeah, and it's funny. It made me really kind of appreciate how the game was, how both games were programmed and particularly how um, how to kind of exploit that. Because, you know, you have a unit, you go to unit, you attack it, they evade. So you rewind, you try it again, they evade. No matter what you do, they evade. So it made me figure out that, I, I th- and I'm, I'm getting into some speed run terminology here, but whatever dice roll happened depends on like what tile you're on. So if you rewind, move up a tile, and then down a tile, and then hit them again, then you still have a chance to actually hit them. Am I making any sense? Oh, yeah. Yeah. And, and it's kind of fascinating that, you know, 
you can really kind of mess with the RNG like that That's in right. the game now. Put those and, RNG gods in their place. Yeah, and I, I actually managed to finish the first Shining Force in about a week. Actually, exactly a week because it came out Tuesday and I finished the first Shining Force last night. And that was even with um, quite a bit of grinding because um, when I was a kid, you know, I would just play through the game straight through. But for um, this one, you know, kind of reading some strategy and stuff, I, I read that it really kind of behooves you to get all your units up to level 20 before you promote them so that they um, have more EXP. It does. Right? Yeah. And, this and is there the are first... also, I seem to remember this in the original version of Shining Force, that every character joins you unpromoted. Yeah. So particularly with some of the really, really late ones, like Hanzo the Ninja, who joins you really, what does he join you? Five battles before the end. Yeah. You have to take the series. You have to actually take the time to make him into a viable character at that point, but he's worth it. Oh yeah. I remember the remake on GBA actually changed up the order that you get a few of these people, which is extremely useful. Mm -hmm. Like, uh, I Musashi, the samurai, you get him earlier in the GBA remake, which is extremely helpful because he's a tank and he can pretty much destroy anything. Oh, yeah. Uh, Musashi is a powerhouse. The one that I was surprised got really good when you take the time to level him up was Blue, the dragon. Um, you know, if you if you don't take the time to level him up, he is just absolutely... I mean, the beginning is absolutely useless because he barely does any damage, and yeah, he's even pathetic. though he, yeah, he, he he's a glass cannon at the beginning. He's not even a glass cannon. He's, he's just a glass. Just sculpture. made a glass. <laughs> yeah, but then you know, I actually took the time to um, get some levels under his belt, and then promote, and then promote him. him. Yeah. To dra- Grand Dragon, and not only does his character portrait get a hundred percent cooler, but he can just you know t- be a powerhouse. And the other one, the other strategy that I didn't do with the, I never what found I was a- Adam that useful, even when I took the time to level him. But I maybe the, I just needed to give him another shot. Yeah, um, I was kind of by the time Adam got put in my party, I was like, okay, I really, cause I think that was after I spent the time to level up a leaf and Torsu to get them useful. Since, you know, Torsu, uh, learns Torsu has the only, uh, aura four in the game. Yeah. Yeah. Torsu, I, I got the names confused. Torsu has the only aura four in the game and a leaf has the bolt and all yeah, the she's other, the only one who gets up to bolt four in the game. Yeah. So by the time I got them to leveled up, it's like, okay, I am done doing these weak characters. Um, sorry, Adam, you're going to the the headquarters. I almost said caravan. That was the second game. <laughs> you're going to the headquarters, and I'm just yeah, not getting Yeah, he, he, starts, he starts, what, seven battles from the end or so, in the middle mm-hmm. of the seventh chapter. He's level 10, unpromoted, and of course... Yeah, you can take the time and pump him up for a while, and then you've still got a character that's really not as good as Musashi. No, no. Yeah, because that was the other thing. I was going to have to sacrifice a slot to make room for Adam, and I couldn't think of who to sacrifice. Though, in hindsight, I probably could have got rid of Ken, because his usefulness kind of ran dry towards yes, the end there. But he has a bunch of HP, that's it. Yeah, he he's pretty much a tank and that's it. He can't really do that much damage. But another strategy this time around that I utilized that I didn't even think to utilize was a kid as a kid was Domingo tanking. That's true. He has amazing physical defense. Like and you it, know you would or, think that I'm sorry, I is, I don't mean to... is Domingo a he I 
I, I'm not well versed in discerning the gender of jellyfish. I I don't know. Well, I th- I think it's a he because in one of the Sega CD games you get a pink jellyfish named Amigo, and that's a she. Yeah, and Domingo also shows up in there, and I think oh Domingo is slightly blue. Ooh, well, yeah. I think we're reading into this. <laughs> well, I mean, classic video game logic there. And yeah, but... Domingo also gets a he gets freeze level four, doesn't he? Yeah. Which is yeah. extremely useful. Which, to, towards the end of the game, that freeze level 4 was probably doing about, like, 50 damage. Um, 70 if it critted. Yep. So it was like, yeah, just send Domingo out there. He's taking hits. Mostly it's the laser eyes that are doing any sort of real damage to him. Because those stupid laser eyes ignore defense. Oh. Those laser eyes, bane of my existence. Okay, but, now yeah. also on this Genesis collection, I seem to recall some other stuff like Sword of Vermilion being present. Oh, you know, I, I, I gotta say, when I was a kid, no, I, I have a lot of Sega nostalgia because I had the Sega channel as a kid. So, you know, I would play a lot of these um, Sega games because that's all I had available to me at the time, and... You know, I would I would try to power through, you know, even though they were bad. And I remember spending like a whole couple of days messing around or playing sort of Vermilion and actually mildly enjoying it, you know, enjoying it in kind of the Stockholm syndrome way when you're a kid and that's <laughs> all you have to play. But, you know, the sort of Vermilion had a lot of interesting ideas for a game that was that early. And uh, I'll agree that it has interesting ideas and I had I only gotten as far as you, I probably would still have positive feelings because I remember, oh, this is fun to explore. Look, you have to find the map in order to know where you're going. Otherwise, after you get too far and you see, oh, it's exactly the same, only we do it again and again and again and again. And I started to wonder, why can you only have one enemy type in each battle? Why is why is magic so worthless in boss battles because you can't even do it? Why do boss battles look cool, but have the functionality of the worst finding game I've ever played. Someday we'll probably do sort of Vermilion <clears throat> proper, but what the hell is there to spoil? You're the good guy. You go kill the bad guy. It's 1989. What more did you expect from an RPG plot? Well, it's like literally every single town you encounter in that game has like its own little problem. It, it, you know, it pioneered vignette gameplay that Dragon Quest just stole. I would say that if Dragon Quest 1 and 2 weren't already out. I think 2 was already out, too. See, I didn't think that they really got hardcore about the vignette gameplay until, like, 6. But I may be mistaken. I'm going to say that Yuji Horii would probably have come up with those ideas on his own because I don't think he was paying much attention to first-generation Sega Genesis Mega Drive RPGs. But maybe someone will unearth a fact that proves me wrong here. I, I'm not going to stick my neck out of the limb for this. Hey, hey, you know, I, I, I'm just t- teasing around about that, by the way. Who who knows? Um, oh, yeah, Dragon Quest Four. When did that come out? Around 1990, so probably... Yeah, you know, you're right. My, my bad. I, I just find it funny that that was the gameplay that that particular game had, is the vignette kind of stuff, but... One fine day, I'll go back and roast it alive, because I... I came to hate that game. I didn't start hating it after I saw everything it had to offer, and it kept repeating, and it bored me into a lull, and I eventually... No, no. I 
I have no, no affection for Sword of Vermilion anymore. None at all. And I, I've also got to say, I'd played Fantasy. I'd played through Fantasy Star for um, in December. Had I known that this collection is was coming out, I probably would have waited. Well, it's not a very long game, and you can blast through it again and have a good time. So I you can probably do it again now. So yeah, so I'm just... I'm pretty interested in playing through Fantasy Star at some point. It's one of those you know really good series that I, I didn't get to play because I wasn't a, a Sega owner, um, but I did do some research, and this this one doesn't have the first Fantasy Star game, whereas like the previous one that came on the PlayStation 3, the previous Sega collection, did have it as an unlockable. Mm-hmm. Um, so, but this one has the rewind feature. So, uh, for my money, I'll be uh, <clears throat> emulating that first one, and then mm-hmm. I'll be playing the 2, 3, and 4 on that collection. But Phil, you can go get the Fantasy Star collection on Game Boy Advance and enjoy the copy of the game that comes with occasional bugs, which may cause your game <laughs> to crash. I think the first game on a virtual console in any form? Um, we we you I've been on Wii. Yeah, Probably, I don't know. Maybe yeah. Maybe. I, I know we got. I know we got Fantasy Star Four on the Wii. I well, it's not the first time I played through it, but I played through it legitimately that way. Hmm. But uh, but yeah, there's definitely some cool, some good games in there. I really love the presentation on that collection. How it looks like you're in a room and you're picking yeah. the game off the shelf, and it's got the filters that you can choose from to make it look more authentic and stuff. On top of that whole rewind thing, I think it's just, uh, I think it's really the way to play. And it's, it's really well priced, so something to go check out, PlayStation 4, PC. Uh, PC, no. by the way, has more games, including, like, Sonic 3, which the PlayStation 4 version doesn't have, and Sonic and & Knuckles. So I'm kind of leaning towards the PC version. Yeah, I just, um, I don't like play. I don't like playing games that aren't WoW on my PC, just because my work area is also my my personal PC area, and most of the time when I'm done with the work for the day, I just want to be on the couch. Yeah, just something for for listeners to think about, like, if you're kind of comparing the two, take a look to see, you know, which, which games that the PC gets, just a few, it's like eight, maybe ten. Uh, but he, the, the big ones for me were Sonic and Knuckles and Sonic 3, which I'm sure, again, I have on other collections, but it doesn't have a rewind feature. Yeah. Which is kind of useful for those games. Now, um, I have heard people say, or I, I watched a Jim Sterling video yesterday, and he was saying that the, like, online, not multi, well, yeah, the online play was a little bit broken on the um, PlayStation 4 versions. Um, I don't know if I mean if you're playing RPG, who the hell cares? But um, some people, some people that want to play like Streets of Rage online, were having issues with the online. But yeah, I uh, saw I mean, that I, too. Something for yeah, if you're thinking multiplayer, you might want to double check on that. Read the reviews yeah. on whatever platform you're using to see if other people are having the same problem that Mr. Sterling was having. Yeah, but I mean, I I don't care. I I bought this just to have every pretty much every good and a couple of mediocre Sega Genesis RPGs like all in one place. Yeah, pretty much most of the good ones are on there, and even like Landstalker, which I never finished, but is pretty decent. And one that came out late in the life cycle that I thoroughly enjoyed was Light Crusader. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was a that was a treasure or made by treasure. It is a treasure game. It doesn't feel like a treasure game much. No, it doesn't. But it is still a very interesting game. I agree oh, with that. I I don't know. We've probably talked enough about it for now. We'll go into the whole variety of uh, smaller Genesis RPGs that 
can't sustain an entire show sometime. And yeah, that would Light, be that. Light Crusader would definitely fit in there. And and Vermillion. Yeah. <laughs> much yeah, to fit there. Much to your chagrin. And then I can try and remember what the hell I, I played Crusader Senti. I probably shouldn't have parted with it, considering how freaking valuable it is now. But I did play it. I finished the thing. Oh, that makes me so sad that that's so expensive because I want a physical copy of that. Good luck now. Yeah. Yeah, no, that that ain't happening. I, if I'm going to spend that kind of money on a game, I would rather get my copy of Lunar 2 for Sega CD since, you know, that's more nostalgic for me. Yep. But yeah, it, I mean, it's it's a collection that's worth picking up if you want all the good Sega RPGs. Crusader of Senti isn't on there, though. <laughs> Most of the good Genesis RPGs. Alrighty. Oh, what else do we have on the list? We have some other peeps we gotta talk to. How about Mr. Mashua? Yeah, uh, it's been busy since the last time I was on on the show. Um, uh, Around the site, uh, I did a couple of... uh, It's been a few weeks now, but I I really like the stuff I wrote for that spoiler warning uh, feature we did. Because mm-hmm. I wrote about uh, Trails in the Sky and Valkyria Chronicles, and I, you know that was fun to write and work on. And then uh, I roped Cassandra into writing a uh, gigantic <laughs> thing with me on, on on our topic today, basically on Fire Emblem: uh, Histories of the Emblem. That was yes, a pl- <laughs> it's on the three GBA, the three GBA, the three DS games. Plus uh, path of plus the Italia's games as a sort of comparison, and we try to guess what will be like what this Switch version may be like, or what we hope it'll be like. Oh, okay. When you said 3DS, I thought you meant there were three DS games, not no, system three, 3DS. No, uh, we actually don't touch upon the, uh, the the DS remakes at all, except for a minor mention. Yeah, we had to we had to find some place to cut it off. Yeah, <laughs> it just seemed more appropriate. <laughs> Yeah, history. The, the title implies it's the whole series, but it's just kind of the, the past couple of games, ignoring the remakes. But that was a lot of fun to write. <laughs> and <laughs> got yep. to get out all of my thoughts about Fire Emblem in in one giant place. And uh, a couple weeks ago, I even put out a thing on uh, kind of lamenting the death of Virtual Console, since Nintendo announced that at least the moniker Virtual Console is dead on the Switch, and I'm kind of worried about where they may be going with the uh you know digital retro games in the future and uh video games i've been having a really bad run of like review games i think you mentioned uh witch in the hundred night two last on the last show which that that thing was a uh yeah that that was a turd of idea factory proportions man you have got to like bribe mac into giving you some (laughs) decent review codes well, well, the sad thing is, is that the game that sometimes I'm sometimes it's the luck of the draw. Yeah. I think at the very least, you probably hoped, hey, it's got to be an improvement over the first one, right? That that's exactly what I thought, and that was very, very wrong. <laughs> it was equally as bad as the first one. Oh no, that this is ag. No, I don't think it's quite agarest level because uh... it's not as long as agarest. That that that's the that's the positive. For, did for... you did you have frequent crashes while playing it? No, no, it, it, it wasn't buggy. It was just terrible. <laughs> <laughs> I would have welcomed some breaks from how terrible it. Was. <laughs> uh, crash! Oh, good, thank God it crashed tonight. <laughs> I can give up so, now. Yeah, for a that, bit. That, that's exactly. an easy way to in, to keep your game time up by 
playing it on Steam, and of course, Steam records every minute you're playing it, even if it crashes after 45 minutes and you haven't had a chance to save, and then it crashes again and again and again and again in the same spot, and I have to send it a plea to Mac, please, Mac, ask the publisher, can you get me past this one part that I cannot freaking get past without crashing? And then the developer is able to do it. Oh, yeah, we didn't have a problem, but here you go. <laughs> so, uh, thanks, Ghostlight. You did a great job helping me, but I'm sure Ghostlight has localized many, many, much, 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 much better things than this. Unless it's early divergence. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so after 100 I too, actually, I was looking forward to uh, playing um, Little Witch Academia, uh, Chamber of Time. So I was I was excited to get the review for that, and uh, it's turned out to be not so hot. I, I they, yeah, I'm living to regret that decision. <laughs> but I finished that up a couple of days ago. There'll probably be a review up by the time this podcast goes up. So mm, man, I need to stay away from anime games for a while. <laughs> maybe Octopath Traveler will cheer you up. Yeah, maybe. Uh, oh, on the plus side, I did. Um, finish up Sacro Tyson recently and that was fantastic at least at least one decent anime ish game that I got to play that was good but it, with, with that series finally getting revived after being dead for 13 14 years something like that I'm like I went back and I played the first one and that game still really holds up it's it's a shame there's not an easier way to play it because as far as I can tell, there's like there's no fan patches. There's just some fan translations, and you kind of just have to work your way through it. But that game has a ton of has a ton of charm. Has really great characters. The RPG mechanics are almost uh, un unnoticeable, but it, it, it's a lot of fun to play. So at least there's been one good thing I've been playing lately. <laughs> <laughs> but that's pretty much it. That, that's that's enough. Cue. <laughs> Uh, let's see. What about Ms. Ramos? Okay, so Josh already mentioned uh, the two, the the, fate, the Fire Emblem Histories of the Emblem feature, uh, and the uh, the spoilers memorable moments feature for that one. I did uh, Bravely Default um, ending and the both endings and Pokemon Black and White's ending. Um, but otherwise, I, I I really need to get around to like finding a, like posting for the site. But I re realize it's been keeping me kind of busy. Um, as far as gaming goes, um, I've been trying, again, having a very hard time trying to play more more games. I keep going back to Pokemon Ultra Moon, despite my hang-ups on that game. Because just like, okay, I want to complete the Pokedex, and then I'll continue on to, Radi to um, Radiant Historia, and then play something else. And then instead of just like, okay, I just want to breed up some Pokemon, I want to get far into the battle tree. And it keeps repeating. I did, I, I played Fates for a little bit to refresh myself for this episode. I've played ever so slowly through Tokyo Mirage Sessions. I'm on the penultimate chapter, finally. Maybe I'll finish that before the end of the year. Um, and I, I, I'm half worried that they're going to announce a Switch version. I, I would love that, so they can maybe with final, an English dub, but at the same time, just like, I, I'm almost done with this game, and they're going to announce a remake. Great. They're going to announce a port. Great. But anyway. Um, so, but for a gaming-related, but not really a single game uh, my uh, 3DS that I've had, like it's one of the, like the first ones that came out uh, in 2011. Uh, I'm an ambassador, 3DS ambassador. It's I finally traded it in for a new Nintendo 2DS XL, 
Um, it's not like it, it kind of works the old 3DS, but the the charging port is giving me trouble. The uh, control, like the control nub, is is sticking way too much. And now this, I can't turn off the 3D completely. It's always at least slightly on, and that drains the battery like crazy, and my eyes hurt from looking at it too long. And so it's just like, okay, that's it. it it's not broken, but surely, surely, because I, I wait until my system breaks if I, if there's an upgraded version. I never got a a, a GBA SP. And I trade, and I got a Nintendo DS Lite when my original DS, like, com- like you know, the, the screen, the top screen, completely came off because those screens were extremely delicate. But the 3DS, I, I the, it's still the GPASP. My only problem with it now is that it feels kind of small in my hands. Anyway, but I, I still have those the older versions with no backlight screen. I mean, if I ever did want to play a GBA game, I just play it on a DS Lite anyway. <laughs> But yeah, but the 2DS XL is really nice. Bigger screen. Uh, the the control nub is pretty neat. I only have one game I could take advantage of it. That's Codename Steam. And what I did, I tried out a bunch of games. I kind of pretty neat to see that. Um, and again, I don't really miss the two the the, uh, the 3D much at all. Like sometimes I like to look at a game when I start it up in 3D, but I never go back to it. And well, I definitely have no reason to go back to it now. Well. Yeah. The- the 3D really only worked on the XL version where that had the faster processing where it could track your eyes. Like that that when I upgraded to that, that was actually oh, a yeah. big improvement. Huge but, improvement. Uh, the new Huge. 3DS, um, excuse me. I'll tell you, uh I'm kind of missing the 3D. I'm sad that they didn't do 3D with Strange Journey. Yeah, that was a missed uh, opportunity. Yeah, that... a bunch of like a new newer games have kind of dropped the three D or what's important. Like like Pokemon Sun Moon and Ultra Sun and Ultra Moon don't have three D in them. No, but the Etrian Odyssey games, I love playing those with a three D on. Yeah, uh, and it's... first person dungeon crawler just and... plays really fun. Yeah, with, with the with the new 3D, yeah, with the old one that I had, you're right. I, like it just wasn't worth it because it would lose track of my eyes so often. It was just irritating, so I always kept it off. But with the new one, it, it does. And what's really interesting is my wife Shirley. She doesn't. She doesn't even like any sort of polygon games. Like she can't play World of Warcraft without getting seasick. Right, but. But and so anything with like real like stereoscopic 3D would really throw her for a loop. The old one would always throw her for a loop. The new one, it's really weird. She doesn't get seasick with it at all. She she loves it. Impressive. Well, I, I've got what I've got, and it's pretty neat. And it's nice that Ultra Moon does not chug like it does. It's nice that Fates doesn't chug like it did. A couple of my like newer games chugged on that. On that the original system. hardware. Yeah. Yeah. And I can actually play Xenoblade Chronicles 3DS, although I probably won't because it's such a long game. <laughs> At least not anytime soon. <laughs> well, I mean, what we really got to get you into is Monster Hunter, because then you can take advantage of that higher processing power for, for yeah, Run yeah, Smoother yeah. in it. You can use that little extra joystick for camera control. It's really great. Yeah, yeah. maybe. Just come, and, come over to the dark side that. with Mike and I. Well, and I also I need to get around to playing more Switch games. I've hardly touched my Switch, my poor Switch. Poor Switch. I was gonna I was gonna say if you want Monster Hunter, just wait for the Switch one to come out. Probably if I ever do, if I ever do. Although it more likely I'd play, play Monster Hunter Stories first. Probably if I ever do. Oh yes, that is such a good game. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh yeah. If if Apps was here, he would tell you. Just don't even think about. It. Just do it. Just do it. Okay. <laughs> Now I evangelized Monster Hunter Stories on RPG Cast when it was when it was new. I probably put about 150 hours into that game. Wow! Yeah, <laughs> I liked it that much. It's really cool. All right, anything else? Uh, no, nothing else. All righty, Mister Miki. 
Oh, my turn, huh? Well, let's see here. I can't remember if when we last recorded I had finished going through all of the extra endings for the DLC characters in the Genroku Legends DLC of Muramasa Rebirth. But I did that. I'm not going to say it was necessarily the thing for everyone to do because it does take a while to get those alternate endings, but they're very different. And pretty soon, once once Odin Sphere Lathrasir is two years old, we'll have a nice little Vanillaware episode where I get to extol the many virtues of Muramasa Rebirth. The other thing I've been playing lately is this thing. Yeah, I think you remember something about this, Phil. Uh, what is it? Strange, strange, strange invaders, strange people. No, strange, strange track. Strange That's track. <laughs> Only it's Redux. Ooh. And it's a big freaking game. But you knew that already. <laughs> I and I will I try to have that. a review up for it. Well, I haven't finished it yet, so I can't review it yet. But, um... Plus, I'm also trying to do this new dungeon, which opens up gradually as you unlock more features to allow you to access more doors in the main game. Then you can act, go deeper into this new dungeon. And the latest floor is a... Oh, man. The, some of these uh, new sub-apps for your Demonica. See, I'm using all the proper nouns because I'm actually in the game, so they're fresh in my head. But I'm sure you remember this, Phil, how you need to get new things to allow... In- enhanced navigational prospects and access new areas in Strange Journey. Mm-hmm. Well, if you go into this new area, you can get some new abilities that actually let you see if the floor in front of you is going to be a pitfall. Oh. And it'll let you see in a very cumbersome way by actually touching the tiny little tile on the touch screen, see where a teleport is going to take you. Oh, that's just cheating. No, nope. what's cheating is the sub-up that uh, completely negates um, enemy encounters that are lesser than you. Mm. That's cheating. Cheaty. <laughs> cheating how like a the, fox. How about the ones which reduce the damage Damage tiles hit you? Oh, I haven't gotten that one yet. There's several. You, you, of course, get the one that's least effective, and then you get a couple that are more effective as you go along. Right now, I'm down to one that only does, uh, I don't know, about 1% damage with each tile I step. That's... I can accept that. Yeah, I thought for sure that would be the prize for the area in the Womb of Grief where that was all it was, was damaged tiles. But but sadly, no. Well, it does come in handy once you get another, what is it, uh, Phase B. You eventually get the ability to go into two different subspace stratums, and with that, you can go back to that floor and have to go back to the floor below it where the subspace stratum access is to find some good stuff and thanks to that function, you won't have to be blundering around on each freaking square trying to find just the right pitfall. Anyway, I just looked. I've sunk 75 freaking hours in the thing. I'm not into the massive, massive dungeon at the very end of the game yet, partly because I've been trying to go through the massive areas of the Womb of Grief, and, you know, some of the music, honestly, is kind of boring. I'm sick of all the the male choir intonations, but I'm definitely invested. Yeah, I can I can see that where and after a while it was it's for the most part it was something I was playing while listening to something else because the sound wasn't a huge part of that. And yeah, there's voice acting now. It's all in Japanese. It's fine. I uh, had to turn that all the way down because that was driving me up the wall. A lot of the demons just say. 
you can hear that the same vocal was used for a whole lot of them, and it's kind of boring, but... Sort of like Devil Survivor, because in the the uh, at least the 3DS remakes, they just kind of made sounds. They sighed, growled, laughed. No, they'll say a few. They'll say a, a sentence. Oh, okay, so it's different than that. Kondo yoroshiku onegaishimasu. You'll you'll hear that a bunch from ah. certain people. Or there are a couple of them that are so anime animalian that they just go <sighs> something like that. <laughs> And the, and a lot of the female ones have exactly the same voice, hmm. but you you will hear that voice often, and you will hear it every time you fuse a new demon. Because even though you can skip through some of the cinematics, you can't skip through that. Uh-huh. Uh, yeah, I don't. I have a whole lot to say on this, but I'm sure I'm going to be flushing out in review form sooner or later. And this is even without getting into what everyone has told me is the gigantic final dungeon. Does this sound right, Phil? Is there oh, a... yeah. Oh, get me started on the final fun. dungeon. Lots of fun. Ugh. I think I spent twenty hours in there. You know, I, I, it, you know, you know what I feel, how I feel about it. It was good right up to that boss. He beat me over well, and over again. That's why I picked the casual difficulty because it's. I just don't feel like necessarily getting a game over if I get stoned and my main character dies from that which another app you, you can get for your function here allows it to not be a game over if the, if the lead gets killed in, in battle only if everything dies mm. I, I immediately applied that and have not thought once about I, oh my gosh that's the probably the best thing they could do to any shimagama game uh, anything else on your mind mr miki well i haven't seen solo yet Instead, I went to see Book Club. Woo! Because I wanted to see Diane Keaton, Jane Fonda, Candace Bergen, and Mary Steenburgen and having fun with their love lives. You know what? I had fun. Woo! There just aren't many movies starring people who could be my parents easily as the leads. You don't get get many of those. (laughs) I I can tell you about Solo if you want, or do do you just want to go in completely fresh? Oh, I've heard some stuff about it. I've heard that someone foolishly brought back one of the lamest villains ever for a cameo. But <laughs> uh, my, my my sum up opinion of Solo is, uh, wow, this is the most interesting fan fiction with a budget. With <laughs> a really big budget, because after all, they had to reshoot almost all of it. Eesh. You you hadn't heard that. The, the the original directors, Lord and Miller, the guys who worked on the Lego movie, they were nearly done, and then Disney came along and said, You have violated the sacred covenant. You have violated the sacred covenant that Disney makes with all of its employees. You will need to be fired immediately, and we will redo everything. And brought Ron Howard into I think I heard that in passing. I'd be really curious to see what the original script looked like. Looked like. Yeah, we'll see. <laughs> I mean, I can say I had fun at the movie, but I'm not in a hurry to watch it again. I I, I didn't really buy the actor that they got as Han, but I did buy the um, actor that got as young Lando. So, you, you know, I mean, it had, clearly it had potential, but, you know, when your movie is kind of sold by your lead, <laughs> and your lead isn't very good. That's another story. Apparently... 
Disney set, flew in acting coaches to have him try, Alden Ehrenreich, try to learn to be a better actor while they were filming. And, you know, to, to be fair, to throw the guy a bone, you're acting, you're, you're ask, asking someone to act like Harrison Ford at the peak of his career. He was pretty much doomed to fail from the start. Yeah, I can't think of anyone who could actually pull that off. No. Anyway, I think that's about all I've got. So, Phil, you're up. Hmm. Well, um, start doing a little little special feature on the site uh, called the RPG Backtrack Sidetrack. And um, it's kind of me going through some of my backlog, playing some of these older games and sharing my thoughts. Now, there's actually going to be more of a theme to it. And it's going to tie in to some future RPG Backtrack episodes. Um, but I don't want to ruin the surprise. So, um, uh, you know, if you start reading those articles, I'll be doing them about once a month. It'll it'll be leading. It'll be leading to that, and it'll tie into the podcast. So, ha, how's that? Sneaky. Ha, ha. Your, your title totally confused Chris because he thought it had something to do with music. <laughs> yeah, sidetrack, yeah. Backtrack. It's all these tracks all over the place. Backtrack, sidetrack. And then we have like a racetrack kind of thing on the side because it's a backtrack. I, I don't know how we haven't come up with that whole racing theme. We call it the final lap. And, I, you know, I, I don't know. It's just it's just a weird thing that we do here. Um, to, what but, else uh, haven't we used? Uh, the mountain track? Mountain track, yeah. Uh, there's a little beach, bit of... Cle- beach track? Yeah. There's a little bit of a clue in the banner that's that 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 makes it up if you recognize the three characters and you can figure out what the common theme is between all of them then then bonus points for you actually i tell you what if you're listening to this go and check out the rpg backtrack sidetrack it's in the if you click on features at the menu at the top go to special features uh you'll you'll pull it up easily enough and if you look at the banner that's right there at the top of that the three characters that i pasted in there if you can tell me what the common theme is, do it through Twitter, do it through email. By the way, my GC server at rpgamer.com is working again. Um, uh, then then, then I'll, I'm, I'm going to throw you a game. I, I don't know what game I'll throw you yet. I, I don't know, but I'll throw you a game. But um, it'll be a random surprise box game. I just made Man. this up. Okay, I am stumped. Um, I'm looking and I am stumped. See, see, if, you can, if, see if you can figure that one out. But... <laughs> Uh, but yeah, it's, it's so that these sidetracks are going to be leading up and, and those pictures have something to do with it, but they'll be leading up to, uh, to something, a new focus that, uh, that Mac and I have been talking about, uh, just to bring some more flavor to our side. And, and you're seeing a lot of that. Just, I mean, some of the features you all mentioned earlier today is, is that we're, we're being more creative with the site. It's not just a revamp in how it looks, but we're being more creative in the site. We're doing more special features. We're doing more editorials and really sharing our passion for this hobby with you, our readers. And it's a focus you're not going to find on IGN or any of those other big sites. So uh, definitely encourage you to go and check out what's going on at rpgamer.com. Gosh, Phil, it's like you're trying to suggest that GameSpot is, I don't know, in it for the money and not for the love or something. Yeah, I that know. Right? Be, um, shoot. Uh, let's see. Just weird miscellaneous uh, stuff because, I mean, I kind of jumped in on some of y'all's areas and mentioned like the Sega Genesis collection or whatever it's called and some other things I've been looking at. So I kind of played some of my cards already. But I've uh, been farting around with Star Trek Online. They're working on a brand new content update. And I'm not big into MMOs. They're time sinks. I got a huge backlog of better written single player games. 
Uh, and I don't have like a huge grouping of fans that are dying to follow me in every MMO I play. So uh, to me, in my opinion, if, if, if you don't, if you don't have like friends that are jumping with you into an MMO, there's probably single player alternatives that, that have tighter story and gameplay. But, um, but I'm a big Star Trek fan. And someone had done a review on Star Trek Online eight years later and how there's so much more content now. And a lot of it is very much focused after the episode. So if you're a fan of the show and you followed a lot of the plots uh, you know, through all the different series, uh, then you can go to Star Trek Online and you can find continuations of those plots, further character development, uh, and things like that. So... Uh, it's, so I've just started playing some Federation. I did some Klingon last night. Uh, you know, what's funny is that it's MMO. It's actually like MMO that's eight years old. So this, especially on the ground comp, the ground combat is especially stiff. It's it's like the worst third person shooter. It feels like a PlayStation One almost or early PlayStation Two for a third person shooter. But the space combat's pretty cool, and luckily there's more space combat than there is ground combat. As far as like moving your shields around and the such, it's not as deep as let's say Starfleet Commander, which I played. Um, but for for an MMO, it's pleasantly, surprisingly tactical and exciting. So that that's kind of fun. And seeing what's happening with some of your favorite characters from the past are also super fun. So, uh, and it's free to play, and you can play all the episodes without paying a dime. Obviously, they're going to try to get you pay through it some way, somehow, inventory, all that other fun stuff. But there's people out there who just play the whole thing on the free account just to experience the stories. And, you know, I, I really feel like in looking at the different payments and things you can buy, it's really just for people who stay at it for, like, in-game, which I will not be doing. I just want to see the story. So, um, speaking of role-playing and stories and the such, uh, some of my friends have been talking about the new... Uh, the new uh, there's been a big update with Dungeon Dragons. Uh, I forget exactly. Stream of Many Eyes is what it was called. It was a stream they did a few days ago, and they also talked about their new books that are coming out. Some new adventures uh, in Waterdeep and Undermountain, and that sounds super exciting to me because Undermountain, if you don't know, is is the mega dungeon of Dungeons and Dragons. It's, it's basically you can put whole campaigns. And when when it's written well, it basically is its own living ecosystem mega dungeon that just choose you know choose players up and really you know really really pushes them to their limits because you're not in a city you've got no temple to go back to to go and resurrect or anything along those lines uh, you are in a a labyrinth uh, that goes many many levels um that has its own ecosystems you know monsters who feed on each other and the plants and everything else it's all detailed out um it's its own living creation so you know a lot of these a lot of these pen and paper books they have to put some effort into detailing the city they put some effort into detailing the factions they got to put some effort into detailing all the npcs and then they got to put some effort into detailing you know something about the dungeon that the characters are going to go through well imagine that the creators were able to just focus entirely on the dungeon and 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 what would that not to say there isn't npcs there there are uh not to say that there you know isn't some other stuff there but that you know it all ties into the dungeon the npcs that are there are an integral part of the dungeon and its ecosystem and as such so that concept's really really fascinates me those books are coming out in the next few months is and so my friends and I were talking, maybe we might want to start doing, uh, you know, some uh, some pen and paper on that one. Uh, so if that's something that might interest you, because we play online, we use Skype and we use Map Tools, which is a free software. It's a virtual desktop program. 
and we put on the headsets and we open up a couple cold ones and we just have fun. Maybe on a Friday or Saturday night. We haven't picked a day or time yet. We're just kind of spitballing this, seeing what interest there is. But if that's something that, that interests you as a player, because uh, I'll DM it, then um, then shoot me off a message and we'll get to know more about you. But uh, other than that, uh, you can listen to uh, The Hunt Podcast. My, uh, Michael Apps and I just popped up another one there on the site. We talk a little bit more about the hunts that we're doing there, so I won't spend too much more time on that. But, uh, of course, we're very, very super excited about the announcement that Monster Hunter Generations Ultimate is coming to the Switch. Super excited for that. So uh, we talk more about our excitement as well as what we were doing in Monster Hunter 4 and uh, the new content updates that are coming out for Monster Hunter World. Well, some of it's already come out. They just keep releasing lots of content for Monster Hunter World. So lots, lots going on there. Old games, new games, just everywhere games, games. It's great. So I think that's all I got. But definitely go and check out our website, rpgamer.com, which is your best source for news, reviews, home to best gaming community on the net. You've got everything that you could want there about role-playing games, computer and console role-playing games. So go and check it out. Uh, and check out our new site and our new layout and everything else we've been talking about. Um, we have other podcasts for you to listen to as well. We have the RPG cast, which goes over more current events. We have Q&A quest with that <laughs> that ridiculous guy, Mike Labs. I don't even know what business he has podcasting. Um, and uh, where he answers questions and stuff as if he knows it all. Uh, got the After Topical Banter Show. And then, of course, our new show, The Hunt, where we talk about Monster Hunter and all of its iterations uh, and strategies there. So go and check it all out. Um, so with all that being said, oh, you can reach out to all of us. Jeez, uh, we have a lot of people on tonight. So lots of handles. Just go over to rpgamer.com. All of our handles are there. Uh, Mr. Oh, or you can reach out to us all on Twitter just by going – just at rpgamer, right? I think it's at rpgamer on Twitter. Pretty sure it's at yeah. rpgamer. Yeah. So uh, – you know, we'll do our handles real quick. I'm at GC Servant. Michael's at You May Sin. Uh, what are you, Cassandra? Uh, at Barry Eggs. Barry Eggs. Mr. Mashua? I'm Jay Scarp. And Miss Melly? Uh, Red Rock 963. Yeah. So you can hit us all up on Twitter. We're all, we're all on the Twitter. We all tweet. Um, okay. So with that, I think we're ready to go to bed, Mr. Mike. What you got for us? I don't know the fate of anyone in great detail, but I do know the fate of this podcast is to end right now. Look at this. Right when I was about to log off, here comes Mr. Mike. It's, it's it's almost as if he knew I was talking about him just a few minutes ago and decided to, his ears were ringing and he's going to show up. I have no no idea what you're talking about. I couldn't have possibly heard your awful slander. So, so... Where is it libel? So, yeah, slander, libel? Slander. Which, which one? I, I know, I never remember. Uh, slander <laughs> is, I think, one of them is vocally only and the other is in print. So, I... I think it's libel, but I don't have my legal documentation in front of me to substantiate that. So what I wanted to do is, for as, as a special bonus of those of you who hung on this long, is you get to hear Mr. App's take on yeah. Fire Emblem Birthright, the best of the trilogy. Yes, unfortunately I couldn't make the show proper due to work nonsense, but... Yes, I did want to share my thoughts because Fire Emblem Fates, specifically Conquest, is my favorite game in the series, far and away. Are uh, you saying it's better than than Fire Emblem Awakening? Yes, I was. Oh not, wow, I that's a bold liked play. Awake, liked Awakening a lot. Not the hugest fan. Didn't didn't really like its story or how it played fast and loose with uh, 
time travel. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's especially the whole, uh, you make character, you get these characters in a relationship, and then you get to meet their kid. Eh. Yeah. Eh, not a big fan. And I think they could have done more interesting things like that, where you, hey, you meet some people from the future, and hey, they say these people are your parents, but hey, you've changed time, and now uh, those people don't end up together. And they could have done some cool things, and eh. I mean, it's a really fun game, just not, not my favorite. Now, Conquest, now that is a game. Uh, I think it's got some of the best uh, battles in the series. I love, obviously, I love the new Fates mechanics, getting rid of uh, item uses or weapon uses, uh, just the way a lot of the battles play out, and the characters. The characters are really good, um, really interesting, and um, it's not, I'm not going to say it's the most mature story or anything, but you are put in some difficult situations where, uh, well, you've already done spoilers at this point, the king is being controlled by some otherworldly thing, and the only way that you can prove that fact to everyone is through, uh, well, basically gratuitous slaughter. Is nice. That, is that a good way to put it? I'm all about uh, the gratuitous <laughs> slaughter. Uh, but, I mean, it, it asks... It, I think it asks a lot of questions like do the do the ends justify the means um is this the right thing to do and you know there's there's a lot to it and I, like I said doesn't do it with the be- the greatest maturity or anything because it's not this isn't like Shakespeare right? but I found it to be a fantastic and interesting game and the end battle where you're like dashing down this hallway trying to uh take out of one of your character's blood siblings who is being controlled by one of these otherworldly things was, I think, one of the best end battles I've seen in a strategy RPG. So, yeah, love the game. Absolutely love the game. And um, it's a shame that Birthright is a piece of crap. Oh, jeez! <laughs> for, <laughs> for multiple reasons. Obviously, it's the battles aren't as good, but the, the biggest problem for me, especially after playing Conquest, is how it kind of just sells out the characters from Conquest. Like, so, you know, the the main character obviously was raised by the Conquest characters. I forget, how do you pronounce the kingdom name? Nor? Mm-hmm. Noir? Yeah, Nor. Yeah. So, that's your family. That's your character's family. I, I don't care that the other characters are your blood relatives that's their family they they love your main character so the fact that when you choose to go with your blood siblings they basically uh are gonna pretty much kill you and uh they start acting like nothing like they do in conquest piss me the f off (laughs) to put it mildly little little disconnection of their characters it's a huge disconnect like it, it looking at the same thing going back in you know looking at the conquest campaign i feel like the birthright characters are pretty true to their form um uh, that they were in the birthright campaign like they're not trying to murder you or anything they're trying to convince you to go to their side and events eventually for most of the characters you reach like a reconciliation in a lot of ways and i and it's just not the case in the birthright and i don't even know how the birthright campaign finishes because i couldn't i couldn't make make it all the way through it just yeah Ugh. It's amazing how what are basically two parts of the same game can be so so big uh, polar opposites, I guess. <coughs> but thankfully, regardless of whatever version of 
Fire Emblem Faith you happen to get, you can acquire the good campaign, or you already have the good campaign on your cartridge. So mm-hmm. it's all good. Uh, I still have yet to get around to playing the third campaign. Um, uh, if I, had I actually been able to make the the show proper, I would have bowed out during that section. So um, <laughs> I've heard, <laughs> I've been told by other staff members it's not so great. So uh, we'll see. Did they like that one better than Birthright? Uh, uh, Revelations? Yes. Yeah, yeah. like, so the order is, <laughs> the, 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 the consensus was that, um, whatchamacallit, um, the, the Conquest is best, uh, then Revelations, and, and then only if you're bored to tears and you have nothing to do with your life. Uh, and I think one of the ladies was saying, oh, you know, actually, if, you, <laughs> if you're done with Revelations and you're looking for more, that's where you go to um, Shadows of whatever it's called. Oh, the 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 most recently released one. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, I assume I'm the only one that liked it better than Awakening. Is that a good assumption? Mm, yes. Yeah. Everyone okay. pretty much had Awakening. Yeah. Yeah. Well, they're wrong, but that's okay. They're wrong. They're allowed to be wrong. <laughs> because, yeah. Because why not, right? Yeah. Um, but uh, what did you think of the 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 my town? My castle, I think we were calling it. Yeah, I mean, it's it was okay. I, nothing to write home about. Uh, I, li- I liked some of the invasion battles. I thought that was kind of a, a neat thing. Um, I mean, I wasn't. It, it was. It's nice to have some sort of home base. Uh, I kind of like that better than just kind of wandering around the map and awakening. But yeah, not not like the greatest feature or anything. But it it was something at least. And there was a lot of conversation about how the children or second generation, whatever you call it, in this one. Uh, what did what did you think of those compared to, let's say, you know, Awakening? I mean, it was worse, obviously, because it doesn't really make a lot of sense to have them there story wise. No, uh, no, no, it totally made sense. You, 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 no, you met somebody; no, no, they had a baby a couple of weeks later. You put them in this celestial incubator. <laughs> yeah, no, it was stupid. Which sure appara- was stupid. Which apparently is just as dangerous as leaving them out in the wild because they always get attacked. But I mean, I didn't really care because it's like, oh, they put this in here because Awakening was so popular. Mm-hmm. You know, it's a throwaway feature. It didn't really need any of the kid characters, so you know, it was whatever. Did you find yourself kind of just ignoring them then? Mostly, yes. Hmm. And sense. I made it, I honestly I mostly ignored it in Awakening because I thought it was really dumb. <laughs> it's uh, like oh oh now that these characters get together now their kid magically pops through a time portal yeah okay yeah yeah I mean I you know it was interesting with with me playing um, and now I'm getting the names confused because it's uh, Fire Emblem Awakening yeah with Fire Emblem Awakening. I, you know, at first the idea is novel. What, what, what kind of kid will these produce? It wasn't until later on they started to figure out, wait a minute, it's all dependent on the mothers anyway, so that's no longer that interesting. Um, and then, th- but there were some of those characters that were interesting, like Owen, but more often than not, they kind of felt like carbon copies anyways. And then you already had such a full party before you started popping out Bambinos. Yeah. So it wasn't like I needed additional hands on deck. There wasn't any... It would have been really cool if there was more of a strategic value to having them on board, but there really, really wasn't. And it was just some somebody else to have to feed XP to if you were really going to keep them viable. Uh, So, which just involved more grinding and such. Uh, At some point, I just kind of... Yeah, I did did kind of rescue each one just to see those interactions, but... 
after I rescued them, most of them, the, for the most part, except one or two, uh, Owen and I think, um, what's his name? Whatever his daughter was. Uh, you know, other, those were the only two I kind of, the rest of them just went on the bench. And, and I just got through yeah. the rest of Because at that point, I'm like, now that I've seen all that, I'm ready for this game to be over. So then I rushed the end. <laughs> like, I'm done. And like I said, in Awakening, I really feel like you could have done something more interesting with time travel. Like, even just have have a bunch of pre-made characters that come from the future and just have them, you know, whenever they join, whenever they is whenever they join. And you can even make it random, like, oh, you know, you and you were my were my parents in the future. And then whether or not, you know, whether or not you actually make that happen can kind of change what their dialogue is. And uh, I think there's a lot more interesting things they could have done with that. And instead, it's just it's just basically fan servicey nonsense. And, and, you know, I feel like, uh, I feel like uh, this is the cool thing about playing a bunch of retro games, boys and girls, is you can, you can be smart enough to do these comparisons. So if this is the first type of game you've played like this, that had some sort of children involved in whatever, you might be like, ooh, this is the most mind-blowing thing ever. But let's say you played, oh, I don't know, Dragon Quest V, which is 20 years in the past, or I mean, like 20 years ago, right? When it first, yeah. Maybe even 25 years ago when it first came out. Uh, but that game... You play a hero, and you start off with him as a kid. That's the first chapter. And then time passes. He's an adult. You eventually, you get to pick one of three different spouses. Now, you'll eventually have kids. And then time passes naturally. And there's a read, like, there's stuff that happens. I won't spoil it too much. We did that on a different podcast. But it's super interesting because then, you know, your kids meet back up with you. And, and they're they're older now. They're, like, teenagers or whatever. And they're able to fight. And so you go and you fight the big bad together. And it was done naturally because time passes, right? right. Um, and and, and it, just, it just was – and that game did it better. I think that's one of my frustrations with Romancing Saga too. Is that time passes, but there's no RP consequence, and the NPCs are still the same 80 years later. You know, yeah. so freaking Dragon Quest V did this better. You could do better if you were Dungeon Master your first D and D game. <laughs> you know, you could come up with a more plausible reason of why these why you're fighting together with your kid. I mean, even if it was just a war that was 40 years after you met your girlfriend, or 20 years after you met your girlfriend, you could still fight in your 30s and your 40s. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, you don't have to, you don't have to do a deus ex weird time travel warpy thing. Uh, but, uh, but that aside, it, the other thing about Dragon Quest is, is it, having the kids in the party was also advantageous. <laughs> they yeah. served roles <laughs> in the party, whereas here in Fire Emblem, it was just, it is cute for, it is that novel thing and lots of people liked it. Obviously the series did great and, and that gave them the money they need to make more Fire Emblem games and more importantly Fire yeah. Emblem Warriors because that's the real best Fire Emblem game <laughs> ever <laughs> but, um, so I'm glad that worked out but yeah the, definitely for some of us old folkies there's some hiccups there that kind of rob some of that enjoyment yeah I mean it's it's fine I just think they it they could have done better could have been a lot better yeah there's a lot more interesting things you could have done with it maybe I just overthink time travel based stories too much but well, especially <laughs> especially with fate, uh, with fates, because you know you got awakening out the door, and it was such yeah. a massive project to be in with. And I understand that. And we talked about this a little bit earlier, as far as like it would have been cooler instead of doing three different storylines and 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 fifteen million different characters and children, and all of that. Had they just brought the focus in a bit, and maybe they had just focused on conquest, kind of being that story. Um, yeah. 
And, yeah, I agree. Yeah, and put more and kept the kept the dating whatever kid thing, but put more time into making that make more sense. Like twenty years later, you know, so you have up until chapter whatever to get your characters hitched up, and then after that is okay. Then time passes because there's a or, there's a time of uneasy peace between the country. Or honestly, you don't even need to do the kid thing. Just focus on the relationships, and then you know when you reach. The basically the marriage status for two characters instead of oh you have their kids thanks to a time bubble or something oh now the family members of your spouse are now open to you or something like that and you can un- have a bunch of different characters unlockable that way there's yeah. <laughs> I mean, this, there's lots of different they could do yeah they could have definitely got more creative with it and put a little more time into, into yeah that. I, and honestly but, I do enjoy the interactions. Yeah, the interactions are great. I mean, it honestly, it really just felt like that whole thing was uh, a check mark, a check mark on a on like a spreadsheet or something. Like, okay, we need this feature in here because that's what the fans want. And, you know, yeah. one of our real time listeners is saying that I'm describing genealogy of the Holy War. Have you heard of that game? Um, it sounds familiar. I don't remember what the hell it is. So. Hmm. It's Fire Emblem. So why don't you know about that one, huh? <laughs> oh, because it's completely in Japanese. Yeah, and the other, the other fan servicey nonsense, I think, is the whole, well, the whole thing that was cut from the U.S. release. Is, do you remember hearing about this? Mm. Uh, no, I'm sorry, I got distracted reading genealogy of the Holy War Fire Emblem game. Oh. What were you saying? Uh, so, you know, there's the whole, like, house thing in Fire Emblem Fates where you can invite characters to come visit your main character and whatnot, mm-hmm. which was kind of pointless and lame. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that felt like another thing in a checkbox, especially in the Japanese version where you can invite them over and then poke them with your stylus, basically. Oh, nice. Oh, yeah, we did talk a little bit about that. Somebody yeah. was saying that should have been saved for the Vita version because, <laughs> you know, it has all those... The Vita version has all those Japanese touchy games on it. Yeah. With the girls. It should have. It should have been saved for an unreleased version, never touched by anyone, because it was the dumbest thing I have ever played. Because I actually have the Japanese version of Conquest. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it was really, really stupid. Oh my gosh, that's horrible. Uh, just reading over Fire, Fire Emblem: <laughs> Genealogy of the Holy War it was released in Japan on nineteen in nineteen ninety six on the Super Famicom. And just a part of it right here, character relationships form a core part of gameplay, include both optional conversations and story-driven character romances. Conversations see selected characters in the mission map talking with each other, so romances are triggered when certain characters have joined the party during the first-generation storyline. Then there's a second generation uh, with units, uh, their stat values and personal skills influence, but the assigned attributes of their parents. Second-generation units can also form optional romantic attachments, but this only influences stats. Uh, when characters with family romantic connections are next to each other, they grant stat bonuses to each other, which provide a higher chance of critical hits, uh, and so on and so forth. So, yeah, there you go. See, they did it better back in 1996. Oh, nice. um, just, just, yeah, uh, yeah. But uh, people like their dating. I mean, obviously, it works really good in Persona. So why? Not? They don't have kids in Persona. Yeah, I was gonna say they don't have kids don't have in kids. Persona. You don't. Yeah. Ha- you don't. You don't have to have baby soldiers. You gotta have a baby. It's not a good fire emblem game unless there's baby soldiers, Mike. Uh, uh, <sighs> hashtag stop the madness. Uh, more importantly, hashtag birthright blows. Yeah. Uh, 
Anywho, uh, so so for cop for conquest for forty bucks, you think you sh- they should get it? Obviously, because yes. you think it's uh, the best Fire Emblem game ever. Absolutely, and if you can get if Birthright is like ten bucks or something, and you want to buy that and get the conquest. DLC that way, go for it. Why not? <laughs> no, because you got you got Maybe a basic. We kind of established like they, these games. These games are not cheap, right? They have not gone down in price. One eating yeah, media yeah. iota or anything along those lines. I, um, I have start with three on it, and I don't even want to look at how how much that would cost people to get. Yeah. Um. So yeah, it's it's kind of it's kind of expensive, but yeah. um. Uh. So you have to get you. We were saying you could get conquest first. Get that for forty bucks, and then if you like it, you can get Revelation for another twenty, just off as DLC, and then yeah. you can go on for there for an additional twenty or whatever. Honestly, that's what we said. Now, nah, just go ahead and spend that on Shadows of Valencia or something. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, well, cool. Any any other parting thoughts on your mind? No, I. It's just if you like Fire Emblem, you like strategy RPGs, you like Shining Force, even I I cannot recommend Conquest enough. Um, and don't let my dislike of Awakening. Well, I say dislike, but I really enjoyed the game. It's just uh, I complained about it more than uh, a lot of other people, I guess. But yeah, don't let that scare you away. Conquest is really good, and yeah, don't play Birthright. Don't, don't waste your time. Don't Has- waste your time. Hashtag don't play Birthright. Yeah. <laughs> Shoot. All right, cool. Well, thank you so much for hanging out with us tonight, Mr. Apps. No problem. Sorry I couldn't be on the main show. I'm sure we'll get you next time. You're a pretty prolific participant. And uh, and if nothing else, I'll see you on the next episode of The Hunt, Stories for yes, Monster sure. Hunter, right? <laughs> <laughs> we'll, plug, we'll keep plugging our other pie. It's cross-plugging. So, all right, cool. Well, thank you very much. No problem.
life beyond the shore, just out of reach. Yet the waters ever change, flowing like time. The path is yours to climb. Embrace the. Black leather cracks beneath its weight.